Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. It was a dark, stormy night. Two women were cracking open a bottle of wine as the lightning flashed. They were here to tell tall tales of historical women that you haven't heard of and maybe never wanted to. That's right, bitches. It's whining about herstory and it's spooky season, which means we are taking a break from women that you probably haven't heard of but definitely should have to tell tales of women on the darker side of history. I'm Kelly. I'm so fucking excited. No, okay. I'm Emily and I have been so pumped. I was like pumped up the whole way here where I'm like, this is Halloween. This is Halloween. Like, <laughs> like the weather today, it was cloudy. Oh my God. And, and it, it was like, like raining right yeah, before we started beautiful, And like the leaves are changing and like, sh- it's here. Spooky season is here. It is my favorite time of year. It's always spooky season in my heart forever, but this is the time where I really get to lean into it. Right, and the people whole don't world, judge too hard. The whole world is leaning in with me. Right. Like, I feel so close to the universe when this is happening. And, and we get to, like, dabble into the true crime, which we both love but can't do year-round. No, no. I There have been a few, there have been a few stories that we've covered where it's like, it's not even necessarily true crime. It's just like a really heavy historical story, like especially when fucking Nazis are involved. And right. I'm like, I don't, I like, I love being able to like take a break while still doing the podcast. We're going to be like, okay, well that was really awful, but let's talk about this bitch who like kicked ass all up and down the street. And you know, yeah, she was like, I'm going to wear pants. And we were all like, yeah, instead of, and then the Nazis came, you know? I love being able to kind of cycle that through. Yeah. I don't think I could do true crime year round. I will listen to it year round, but that's like a passive experience. You know, I'm listening to a story be told to me rather than digging into it and then freaking out about doing it justice. Like that mother and baby home I, story I did for oh, our yeah. for our funerarians and funeristas, which if you haven't heard that, definitely subscribe for as little as $1 a month because that... It's such a good story. It's dark, but it's good. It's so hard to talk about, and it's but it's so important to tell that story. Um, but I was so freaked out about not doing it well enough that it took me forever. Like I, like I, my anxiety was like, no, no, you're not going to look at this. You're not going to touch it, just because you're going to fuck it up. And then I'm like, okay. I can't fuck it up any worse than the people who actually did this shit. So I can, yeah. maybe I just need to calm down a little bit in Spain. Uh, but yeah, no, I love these spooky stories. I love getting to go into the like darker side of history, you know, the mythical side. We've done the deer woman, which is forever, I think, one of my favorite stories. We've done, We you talked about um, the Yara. Yep. We've talked about poisoners. Terrible mother-in-laws. We've talked about just straight up like, yeah, murderers, a woman that made people into soap. Yeah, yeah. The soap maker of Correggio. We talked about Lethal Luchadores. Yep. That was a fun one, too. That was a fun. We talked about 40 elephants. Yeah. Which were not actually a herd of 40 elephants traipsing through Selfridges. Which I really wish it was. I. We've talked about. I love that I covered them and I mentioned them and you were like, 
Wait, so they just like rode elephants through the store? I know, I store. was very, I was like, how do people not know they're being robbed? I was oh very, my God. very confused. <laughs> we talked about um, gangster queens of Australia. That wasn't even for Halloween. No, that, that was, was just fun. for fun. I didn't think the 40 elephants was for Halloween either. No, it was, because it was um, Alice, Alice Diamond. She was the leader of the 40 elephants. That was like our I first feel Halloween. like it was super recent that you talked about the Selfridges and stuff. Well, okay, no. The Selfridges I did, but I referenced the 40 elephants okay. in that, and I covered the 40 elephants in Alice very, like, okay, during good. our first I was Halloween. like, I swear we recently talked about this. Kelly, this is our first episode. <sighs> Just, okay, this whole episode is going to be me gaslighting Kelly about when things have happened God, and if they don't. actually have or haven't. <laughs> That would, okay, that would be a true horror show. Yeah, it would be. There are 20 movies about just that. Yeah. It's about time that it became a podcast. <laughs> yeah. All right, Emily, what are we drinking today? So I am super excited. I found this wine just today and I was I was looking around. And I'm like, mm, what's something spooky that we haven't had? Because like Phantom was at the liquor store mm-hmm. in Bogle and like, I love all of those. And I might go back and just get some for me because I... I need to be a spooky bitch. I need to go hard in the spooky bitchness this season. But I found this one that we haven't had before called Sixth Sense. And the label is really cool because it's like a shelf with the, oh God, what are they, like the, not acupuncture, but the the pressure point Mm -hmm. hand. Yeah, so it's like the statue and it's got an eye on it and a bunch of spooky stuff. And then there's shelves with weird stuff. And there's a portrait of a cat. Oh my God, that cat looks like Arthur. Is my cat on this wine bottle? Yes. It's not him exactly because it doesn't have his devil goatee. There's like a black dog and a horseshoe. There's a Greek statue with one of the Carl, uh, not Carl Marx. Um, Who's the comedian with the with the mustache and the glasses? Groucho Marx. (laughs) I'm like, I know it's not Karl Marx, but it's it's something Marx, and I can and Karl Marx also has some really aggressive facial hair going on too. But yeah, no, this bottle is really cool. This is um, from a, a Michael David joint. It's a 2020 Syrah from Lodi, California with an ABV of 15%. Ooh. So this is a this is the kind of wine that's going to like, you know that lie that you only use 10% of your brain? This yep. will help you access the other 90. Mm. But you're going to get fucked. Actually, it, it's going to help you access the other 90 because it will kill the 10% yeah. that you're using right now. And then on uh, toastwines.com, I found this really great description because it doesn't have it on the bottle, which I'm like, please write your wine romance novel like, on the on. bottle. Yeah. Don't make me Google. So. A glimpse into Michael and David's cabinet of curiosities. We invite you to unpack the mystery and complexities of our sixth sense Syrah. Deep violet in hue. I almost read that as violet. Violent. Remember dark violence? It's been a minute since we referenced that. It was like dark violets. We were like dark violence. Yep. (laughs) Deep violet in hue. Aromas of black cherry laced with tobacco and toasted baguette Fill the nose. 
full-bodied flavors of plum, espresso, and clove carry the wine through a lingering, oak-inspired finish. Like, are you a little wet? Because I'm oh, kind of yeah. wet. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm feeling damp. Yep. I'm feeling, yeah, I'm feeling some tinglies. I got the tinglies in my jinglies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my, my God. God. Tinglies no. and the jinglies. Tinglies and the jinglies. Put that on a shirt and watch it not sell. <laughs> but no, I, I'm excited because I think this is, this feels like a very fall wine like with the tobacco and ba- and black cherry and baguette and plum and it, like it, all of it just screams fall to me and especially spooky season we'll see how it lives up yeah cheers you spooky bitches cheers that was a good clink that was, a, that was i like that you were gonna set your glass hunt. down like- no, no 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 that's what you do after you cheers no yeah no. yeah you have to it's the law Kelly just broke the law. Ooh. I actually did it this time. I never, I never do otherwise. <laughs> no, it's, it's a habit for me. I actually had someone comment Ooh, like, really oh, you good. drink it right. Or like you do the, the touch. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is just, this is just what I do. I don't, I don't know. I think I, I think I maybe saw my mom do it. I don't even remember right, where like, I picked you it up. You picked it up from somewhere. Yeah. It's just one of those drinking things that like you absorb through osmosis. Holy fuck, I love this wine. Yeah, it's super good. I want to rent this wine in a par- an apartment and then see it on the side. Yeah. And like pay for its things. Yep. I want to be this I, wine sugar, sugar mama. mama. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I love this wine. This is a wine. very good fall wine. I also, I also want to decorate my home in the aesthetic of mm-hmm. this label because it's, it's like whimsical victorian but also dark and spooky like it really it balances the creepy but also like the really like cutesy stuff very well and i love that if i'm ever wealthy enough to hire an interior decorator i'm just gonna give them this bottle of wine and they'll be like oh but i haven't even done any work you shouldn't have gotten me a gift i'd be like no no no. this is not a gift this is what i want you to do i want you to make my home this wine label yeah. And then I will give you a bottle of wine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God. No, this is amazing. Mm. Holy shit. Sorry. I'm, yeah, I'm feeling all sorts of things today. So yeah. Kelly. Wait, you're going first. Shit. Well, now all the things I were feeling are sad. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, um, I also want to apologize to everyone. We didn't realize that last week was our 200th episode. No. And I don't think anyone expected us to be sober for that episode. Um, Which is, you know, honestly, no one's more disappointed in us than I am. Than both of us. But you know what? Uh, It was either record sober or don't record at all. Or, I mean, I guess option three, get wasted on a Sunday, which, you know, that's the Lord's day. That's the Lord's Day. We don't we don't get wasted on the Lord's Day, unless I don't have to work on Monday. Yeah, in which know, case I will off. get wrecked. Yeah, but I had work the next day, and I had <laughs> I had chores to do because I'm an adult who has to do those things. So I am kicking off spooky season. No Yay. pressure. No pressure. No pressure. With the story of Elva Zona Hester Shoe oh, and Mary Jane Hester. 
You just like group projects. I love a good group project. Also, this kind of doubles as a Mother's Day tribute. That's weird. Yeah. You'll figure out why, though, because the mom in this story is a real one. So. It's the afternoon of January 23rd, 1897. Five years after Lizzie Borden allegedly murdered her parents in Fall River, Massachusetts. In Greenbrier County, West Virginia. I should have looked up how many miles away that is from Fall River. No, that's fine. (laughs) This whole story is going to be me making like comments and like conjecture around the Lizzie Borden case. So, Greenbrier County, West Virginia. Local blacksmith Erasmus Edward Stribbing Trout Shoe. Because good God. Hmm. Also, every time I read his name, like a different part was in parentheses or like quotes. So I don't know if Edward was his nickname or Trout was his nickname or like, yeah, he's all over the place. I'm just going to call him Edward for simplicity's sake. But I just want everyone to acknowledge the last part of his name is Trout Shoe. Trout Shoe. Yeah. I love it. So Trout Shoe is enjoying an idyllic life. Having just married his young wife, Elva Zona Hester Shoe, known better as Zona, three months prior, the couple is already expecting their firstborn. Edward is enjoying a successful career and wedded bliss in the rural log house where he, that he shares with his pregnant wife, where they are preparing to grow their family. Hmm. Edward is out and about, and he stops by the neighbor's house to ask the neighbor boy, 11 or 12-year-old Anderson Andy Jones to go check in on his dear, sweet, pregnant wife, Zona, to see if she needs any help around the house or anything from the market. You know, just go check on her. Right, make sure she's doing okay. You know, she's a lady. She's like 20. She can't be alone for very long. Yeah, he's just like so doting. After all, as the keeper of the home, she knows what would be best. So if there's like anything he needs to pick up at the market or, you know. Like she's going to know. She's the homekeeper. That's her job. Happy to help, Andy goes to the shoe's house, past the white gated fence and through the front door to complete his task. There, he finds Zona lying at the foot of the stairs. Her legs are laid out straight and pressed together while one arm is outstretched at her side and the other crossed across her chest. Her head is tilted to one side, eyes wide open. He would later say it looked like she was laughing at him. Oh, that's creepy. Andy stands there, stunned for a moment before slowly approaching Zona, calling, Mrs. Shoe? Zona doesn't respond. Andy, er, Andy slowly approaches and gently shakes Mrs. Shoe. She is stiff and cold panicked the boy runs from the house into the person he trusts most his mother martha jones he's just a little boy who found a dead body that he's would be really terrifying like even yeah. as an adult that would be terrifying 100 percent. when andy tells his mother of what he has seen she immediately calls for the local doctor and coroner dr george w knapp who confirms zona was not in fact taking a nap this is a this is a sad story, so I gotta like jazz this up wherever I can. 
Now, this is 1897 in rural West Virginia. There are no police to call. There's no 911. And apparently there's no sense of urgency as it takes Dr. Knapp over an hour to arrive at the shoe home. I mean, if they already knew she was dead. I mean, here's the thing. It's his job to tell if she's dead. He's taking the word of a child of a 12 year old who is terrified, traumatized now. Anyway. When he arrives, he finds a much different scene than the little boy reported. There is no body lying at the bottom of the stairs. Dr. Knapp hears something upstairs and investigates. There he finds Edward in the bedroom, having already arrived home and brought Zona's body, or excuse me, Zona's body. That's your dog's name. Zana, yep. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's Zona. I'm your dog is fine. Zana I hope is so. fine. Jesus. She is already a ghost. She's fine. Nothing can hurt her. Sorry, I'm not I'm not trying to bring your dog into this. He had already brought Zona's body upstairs where he washed and clothed her in a burial outfit. That's super sketchy. A high-collared burgundy dress complete with a veil draped over her face. Edward cradles Zona's head, sobbing, begging her to return to him. The scene is tragic, to say the least. A young life suddenly gone, a now-widowed husband grief-stricken, and to make things worse, Dr. Knapp had just been treating Zona in relation to her pregnancy. Oh, that's right. I forgot she was pregnant. I know. It's like, hey, how can we make this sadder? Oh, and now we're going to kill the dog. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, jeez. But Dr. Knapp tries to do his due diligence and examines Zona's body. I keep wanting to say Zana. This is going to fuck me up forever. Why did you name your dog this? Excuse me. I named my dog that before you decided to write this Yeah, but this happened before you named your dog. So I have a feeling you have orchestrated this to (laughs) ruin my life. 1,000%. Whatever listicle you found this this on, I'd, I'd put it out there for you. You and your shitty vision board. Um, so Dr. Knapp tries to do his due diligence and examines Zona's body to determine what the cause of death could be. When he tries to get close to Zona, Edward, in a fit of grief, becomes more agitated, sobbing loudly and tightly cradling her head and neck into his body. In a fit of grief, uh-huh. I don't trust the husbands. <laughs> or the wives. You know what? I, I, was, I was writing this, and I'm like, I'm, I'm putting all this like effort and build up, and I'm like... Three sentences in, Kelly's going to be like, fuck that dude. <laughs> yep. Fuck him. Sky high. Yeah. But you know what? We're going to just keep going. Yes, and you're just going to enjoy the ride. Okay. I, am. I love your storytelling. Not wanting to make a horrible situation any worse, Dr. Knapp does his best to examine Zona's body, staying away from her head and neck, which Edward holds protectively. Dr. Knapp finds nothing suspicious on Zona's body and concludes that she has died of complications due to her pregnancy, a heart condition, or the eternal faint. Which is just like, she just fucking died. Oh, I was reasons. like, what the fuck is the eternal faint? It ba- It's death, first of all. It's, it's basically like, um... Reasons! Because it's the 1800s and people like, can just die for no fucking... Sudden infant death syndrome, except yes. in adults. Yeah. And with a way cooler name. Yeah, which like, mm, the eternal faint. Oh, by the way, if I ever go into a coma, can... Can we call it that? Can yes. we call it that? My my eternal faint? And like, hopefully it won't be eternal, 
But like, I'm just saying, make some shirts. Yeah, make, I will. I want some art of like me in the hospital bed, like all illustrated, all Tim Burton style. And it just says like the eternal faint and some really like spooky Ooh, script. I can do that. Yeah. I want my funeral to be called the eternal faint. I want the invitations to be like, you are cordially invited to Emily's eternal faint. I have my funeral better planned out than I have ever had a wedding planned out. You know what I know about, like, if I ever get married? Wearing white. That's it. And there's going to be another person there who I am allegedly marrying. Okay. That's all I got. That's all I got. I mean, it's you're something. You're going to be there. Yeah. Like. It's something. I don't fucking know. I don't know. Anyway. Zona is taken to her childhood home in Little Sewell Mountain to be buried. Edward, still overcome with grief, displays erratic behavior. Funeral attendees watch as he paces next to Zona's casket and fiddles with her head and neck, propping it up with a pillow and then a rolled-up towel. He places a scarf over her head and neck, which is already obscured by the high-collar dress and veil, assuring everyone it was Zona's favorite scarf and that she would want to be buried in it. Sketchy. <laughs> Kelly is not having... I'm trying so hard not to make comments. Kelly is like, not having any of this. Here's the thing. I like here. All of your comments are more than welcome because here's the thing. Everyone else is thinking the same thing. Sketch. But I will have, there will be like a lively debate that comes up later. Ooh, I like, like lively we will debates. Have, we'll have lively debate because like I've definitely made my opinions on this case, but it's weird. Contested. It's weird. It's, it's, it's a non-traditional case. Okay, back to the death. When loved ones try to approach the coffin to say goodbye, Edward lashes out at them, violently swinging from uncontrollable despair to mania. Like, okay, like valid people react to grief in different ways, but like the head and neck thing is just super sketchy. One, uh, oh, witnesses take notice of the odd behavior, but attribute it to grief. After all, we all deal with grief in different ways because Kelly's in my fucking head. And you like premeditated the story <laughs> and named your dog something confusing. Yep. Just, just to throw you off. Besides, Edward is a beloved member of the community. There is no reason to think any more of it. One attendee, however, is carefully watching Edward with suspicion. Mary Jane fucking Hester. She's like, you Zona's fucked mother. up my son. Oh, I thought it was, I thought this was going to be the mother of the boy who no. found the body. No, no, no. That was, I think, Martha. Yeah. Good. I'm glad mom's like. Mary Jane mm. Hester, Zona's mother. And frighteningly, her suspicions would be confirmed by the last person anyone expected. Dun, dun, dun. The dead person. But before we get to that, let's turn back the clock Ooh. so I can stop reading in present tense and try and make it all intense. Elva Zona Hester Shue, better known as Zona, was born in 1876 and had been very close to her mother, Mary Jane Hester. I couldn't find a ton more else about her life because, of course, she didn't become relevant until she became the victim of a horrible death. Yeah, that sounds Which, like, about right. Can we? Okay, 
like to be you either, fair, you either become known when you get married back then, yes, or when you something terrible happens to you. To be fair, though, may we all have the the joy of living a life that's not really worth writing about. You know, we don't have to fight for what's right. We don't have to be. We're we're not victimized. Right. Things can, are generally okay. We can okay. just be unremarkable and happy. Right. <laughs> Pleasantly unremarkable. Oh, see, there's my epitaph. There you go. Pleasantly unremarkable. My eternal faint and my epitaph. I got this. My funeral is going to be so fucking twisted. In October of 1896, Erasmus Edwards Stribbing Trout Shoe. Jesus Christ. Trout Shoe came to town. That is a name. Yeah. He had traveled from Pocahontas County, West Virginia, after the death of his wife Mm. and was looking for a fresh start and soon started working for James Crookshanks as a blacksmith. Crookshanks. You know what? He never comes back up, but it's a great name. Crookshanks. It's like Hermione's cat. That's what I was thinking. And you know what? You know why Hermione was the baddest bitch? Because not only was she crazy intelligent, but she had a fucking cat. Also, like, um, his first wife died. Here, okay. I'm sensing a pattern. <laughs> Here's the thing. And I'm going to, I'm going to, it was the past. I'm going to be playing both sides. People just died. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Eternal faint was a legitimate cause of death. That's what I'm saying. It is the past. Reason. But also potentially sketchy. Zona was captivated by the straw, straw, uh, straw, the, the straw, straw man, the straw tong blacksmith. <laughs> Zona was captivated by the tall, strong blacksmith and fell for him and fell for him hard. However, Zona's mother strongly disapproved of the match. And like, we've all been there. We've all dated someone. Our moms per- are yeah. like that one person or like most people that you've ever dated. And we've all dated that one person because our parents, like we're on the fence about the person, but our parents say no. So we're like, fuck that shit. I'm all in. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I've ever. Oh, dated, I definitely did. I don't think I've ever dated someone to piss off my parents, but I have dated many people in spite of my parents objections, which is why in my last relationship, they said nothing. Yeah. They They knew. And they're like, yeah, no, in high school, We're just there was a be guy, here. I like literally like the, it was the first day of talking to him. So I like wasn't sure if I liked him, but I was like, he's cute. He's like goth and like, you know, and I got in the car because my mom, I was at like our town fair and I get in the car after, and like I was hanging out with him and I get in the car and my mom's like, my mom looks at him outside of the car and looks at me and goes, you are not dating that boy. Oh <laughs> and my I'm like, God, the hell you <laughs> say mother. <laughs> It didn't oh end God. well. Seriously, if you but have kids, like just like you can express like, hey, I, I don't know if they're safe for you. Like if you're observing behavior, but never outright tell your kid they can't date someone because they will find a way. You know why? Because kids fucking suck. And as a former child <laughs> and a current child mentally, I can attest yep. to that. Like Same. we suck. We suck. We suck. I did other things probably actually okay i i did something okay here here's the shit that i do to my mom i don't do things to like actively aggravate her like i don't date someone because she disapproves but okay here's the story um so i won a thousand dollar gift card to get a tattoo which like (laughs) i'm getting my consultation scheduled i'm still 
jealous. I'm I'm super fucking I'm like happy but I've jealous. I've had dreams about th- this tattoo is designing itself for me in my fucking dreams. Is it are you going with what we had originally talked about or does it depend on what he says when you talk to him? Well, I mean, both. Okay. Like obviously it's going to depend. I can't be like, "Haha, I'm going to hold this non-existent like thing that you are offering me over your head and right. you can just like um, do you but, have a backup if he's like, no, I'm not going to do that? Oh, no, no, no. I'm doing the crow. Oh, Did we la- not talk about that? No, the last I oh, heard you okay. were going to do Tyranny's drawing. Well, and, I, okay. and I had told you, I'm like, he might not want to do that because sometimes they won't, they don't want to draw other people. Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I passed on that pretty quickly because that's something I would want to do with Tyranny. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll describe it to you later. But anyway, I was, uh, I was having dinner with my mom and I was telling her about like how I won this prize mm-hmm. because I got like some swag from the tattoo shop and the free hotel stay. And I completely left out the tattoo because here's the thing. I cannot have that conversation with my mother. I until after I, you already have the tattoo. Maybe maybe even not then because when I told her I was going to get my nose pierced, she cried and begged me not to ruin my face. And then like where, where 3 are years you later getting I the did tattoo? it on my on my thigh. Like so, upper thigh? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah. I can hide it. Oh yeah, she'll like, probably like never see it. Exactly. But you know, I was telling her, I was like, oh yeah, I got this free hotel stay. I got some, you know, you know, tattoo shop swag and she goes, "Wait, wait. What do you mean?" What, what do you mean? You're not getting a tattoo, are you? And I was like, no, no, mom. I got like a shirt and stickers and stuff. You and outright like, lied to your mother. I lie to my mom a lot. <laughs> um, my, my biggest the, lie, I don't lie to my mom, but my, every time I get a tattoo, my mom asks me if it's the last to- tattoo I'm going to get. And I'm always just like, sure, mom. I mean, eventually sure. it will be. Eventually it will be. I mean, yeah, I might die. <laughs> but so... So my mom was like, oh, thank God. And then I, because I'm such a shitty kid, I was like, well, I mean, I already got my ta- my butthole tattoo to make it look like it's winking at you. But that wasn't because I won the contest. Yes. It was just for me. And my mom, she does that like big eye roll she does. Where she shakes her head. Like Ugh. where she knows you're kidding. But, but yeah. she's still like disgusted that I came out of her. And then my dad is sitting there and he's just shaking his head. He's like, God damn it. And he, well, here's the that's thing. a very he also thing. He also loved it though. Yeah. He's like, he loves he's like he loves yeah. when you kind of poke at your you mom sarcastic bitch i raised you yeah but yeah that's the way i fuck with my mom is like i'll like sometimes tell her i did something that i know is gonna upset her when it didn't really happen right or i and it's tell like her harmful. i'm not doing yeah. something that would really upset her and might actually kill her it's fine it's my body anyway back to murder yeah or is it dun 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 okay i mean i guess she theoretically could have like fallen down the stairs or something there's a million things that could have happened so zona was captivated by the tall strong blacksmith tongue tall strong whatever tall blacksmith and fell for him but yeah zona's mother not captivated mary jane is not having this he he is he is the tattoo and she is like you are she's crying begging her daughter not to ruin her her life so um, Edward had been married not once, but twice before. And she just had this like feeling that he was bad news. Moms, moms get that. They, they do. They do. Mom, moms know. The mams know. Despite her mother's misgivings, 20-year-old Zona was madly in love, as only a 20-year-old yeah. can be. 
And she and Edward married at the old Methodist church in Livesay's Mill before moving to the other side of Seawill Mountain, about 14 miles away from where Zona had grew up, grown up. It's a lot of like lived. mouthful names of places. Thank God I don't actually say a lot of this stuff a lot. Um, but yeah, so basically I, I, I read he in one place. He moved her away. Yeah. To the other side of the mountain. It was only 14 miles away, but this is like. There's a mountain. This is in horse and buggy times. Yeah. This is in like, you can't be out after dark or the wolves are going to get you times. There's marauders and bandits and herpader. <laughs> Super guy, watch out for that herpader. <laughs> yeah, it'll so, take you out. So, Oh man, I tell you what about that herpader. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so he moves her away yep. and I did read in a couple places that they eloped. So like hmm. her mother may not have even been at the wedding because okay. they knew she wouldn't approve. Yeah. So like this marriage is starting off with a lot not of tension. Great. Yeah. Three months later, Mary would be attending her own daughter's funeral. Jesus. They were married for three months and she died. Mary felt very uneasy about the cause of death and what... I mean, honestly, she felt the way we feel hearing everlasting like, fame. Mm, She's like, sketch. the fuck even is that? Show me in the medical textbook where it says that. Right. Cite your sources, doctor. Oh, sorry. I, my well, computer was like. I thought someone like rang my doorbell no. and I'm like, why are my dogs not like freaking the fuck out? It's Zona's ghost. Anyway. No, it's Zana upstairs. <laughs> it's That one is Zana. Like going, making weird sounds. Um, so she felt uneasy about the cause of death, watching Edward erratically fuss over her daughter, and she knew that there was more to the story. After Zona was buried in the family graveyard, Mary took the sheet that had been inside her coffin. Don't ask me. I don't know why. I don't know the circumstances, but she took the sheet that was inside Zona's coffin. Noticing it had an odd smell... Again, what is odd for a coffin sheet? Right. I'm like, yeah, there was a dead body on it. There are some details of this story where I'm like, Again, is this an 1800s thing? Grief makes you do weird things. Like steal the sheet from your daughter's coffin before she's buried. I would assume in the coffin. Yeah, I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know how this works. I'm not up to up to date on 1800s funeral standards. But anyway, she takes this sheet. It smells weird. And she washes it in a basin. Suddenly, the water in the basin began turning red, dyeing the white sheet pink. Mary took this as a sign that her gut feeling was correct. And she dropped to her knees to pray that she could know the truth of what happened to her beloved daughter. According to Mary, her prayers were answered. That night, Mary was awakened by a vision. Actually, I wrote this, but then I found in a, in another place that she was actually actively praying when this happened. Okay. So, so something night, happened, one of the two in the night, she was greeted by a vision of her dead daughter claiming. See, I was right. You I were was right. The you dead were fucking person. Right. Yeah. No. Um, so Kelly actually wrote this story and she's just not going to let me Again, tell it. I put, put this, I put the listicle out there and wrote the story for you. And just no, made you, you think you didn't. You listen to the 20,000 podcasts that have already done this story <laughs> that I've also done where I'm like, I can't yeah. wait till October. Cause this is the year I'm going to do Zona. And you're like, 
No, I know. I know. I know. Emily's I know, coming yep. for this. I know she's coming for I'm this. Make it really confusing for her. I will say this is revenge because when I'm watching a movie, even if it's a movie I haven't seen, I'll be like, oh, I bet that's I the killer. Guess the and then I'm fucking right. Like no. my ex hated that where I'd be like, oh, I oh, is this the blah, blah, blah? And he's like, how do you fucking know every time? And I'm like, because all I do is watch television. I'm really glad my husband is OK with it and will do it with me. Like we watch yeah. TV shows and one of us are like, oh, that's the bad guy. And the other person's like, you might be right. Like. I'm really glad he doesn't get mad at me discussion because yeah, I do that with literally like everything we watch. Yeah, no, I think my ex liked to think I was stupid. And then when I would be able to like catch, gets the twist in his favorite movies, he was just like, God damn it. Yeah. He's like, anyway, um, like bitch, I'm a badass. Yeah. So back to the ghost. The shining ghost. The shine, the glimmering shining ghost. She's like a twilight vampire. Sparkling in the moonlight. So anyway, she sees this vision of her dead daughter in her bedroom, claiming that Edward had murdered her by breaking her neck. And to prove her story, because apparently the burden of proof is on the ghost. Of course. Zona's ghost turned her head around 360 oh, degrees so she did the like a spooky thing. owl. Okay. This is some grudge shit. And can I just say, like, I like that you go to the grudge. I go old school, like the exorcist. Well, yeah, I mean, exorcist, but grudge is the first movie that like really fucked me up. Like, I think I saw it when I was 13 and the same day I watched (laughs) the American grudge and the Japanese grudge back to back. Don't do that. It was a huge mistake and it destroyed me. One of them is definitely like freakier than the other. They're both horrifying. But they're both horrifying, especially when you're 13 years old. They're it's it's all bad. I I can't. I mean, I couldn't even watch a haunting in Connecticut when we were like, oh my god, okay, that was. We've told that story. We have. We're getting way off topic. I'm sorry. That's the problem with spooky season. Is like we're like we have all of these related stories. Yep. But yeah, I love that the ghost is like, don't believe me. And like does this weird head trick as if she's not already a ghost. Right. There. Saying that she was murdered. It's like, but wait, there's, there's more. <laughs> Let me show you. Yeah, we know you're dead. Yep. The visits would repeat four times total. So so Zona visits her mother four times. Yep. When Mary told neighbors of her visions, they were understandably skeptical. Right. They were like, well, yeah, you just lost your daughter. But also, like, I like to think that they were giving her the same grace that they were giving Edward, where they're like, grief does weird things to people. Oh, you are, like, really going through it, sis. Yeah. Honey, can I, can I bake you something? Can I bring you a a casserole? casserole. (laughs) A nice hot dish, please. I know they don't do, I know it's not hot dish in West Virginia, but wherever their hot dish is. Casserole. Yeah. Nice casserole. To help you grieve. Eat your feelings, hon. Uh, however, one very important person did listen to Mary Jane's story. Local prosecutor, John Alfred Preston. Ooh. And because there are so many names in this, I'm just going to call him Prosecutor Preston. So we all know who I'm talking about. Because I'm like, I can't just throw a John in here with Edward and Mary. And ugh, it's just too many fucking people. He's PP. He's Prosecutor PP. Preston. Prosecutor Preston, PP, attorney at law. (laughs) Putting on the sunglasses and then taking them off dramatically before he goes, there's been a murder. (laughs) Anyway, Mary spent hours in the prosecutor's office telling him in vivid detail of the four separate visits her daughter's ghost had made. Hmm. 
And it's unknown whether or not Prosecutor Preston believed Mary's ghost story or not. Or if he just believed like, hey, maybe it was a little suspicious. But he did reopen the case, if nothing else, but to put the grieving woman's mind at ease. Because, I mean, and I get this. First of all, it's small town, 1800s. It's not like you've got this insane caseload you're dealing right. with. He's the prosecutor and he can kind of do whatever he wants. Like, like I'm bored. Sure. Why not? Yeah. The town has one doctor who's also the coroner who also takes an hour to respond to a dead body. There's not a lot going on here. Right. But here's the thing. Like when you take out all the all the bureaucracy and logistics, either He's going to re reexamine the case and realize and catch a murderer. No, she's super, she's just really sad. There's nothing right. here. Or you catch a murderer. Exactly. Like it's win-win. You can't go wrong. So he had several of the key persons re-interviewed, including Dr. Knapp, who disclosed the odd details of how he found Zona and how Edward wouldn't actually allow him to examine her head and neck. So he determined cause of death without doing a full examination of the body. Because he couldn't. Because he couldn't, but also, like... Do your job. Like, maybe fuck his feelings. Like, I'm not usually a fuck the grieving spouse's feelings kind of person, but, but you need it's, to it's, do your yeah, job. do your job. <laughs> More details would emerge from witnesses that made Edward look incredibly sus. When he was later later interviewed about the events, little Andy Jones, now grown when he was doing this interview, outlined the details of what happened that day. Um, earlier, I said that Edward had visited Andy's home in the afternoon of Zona's death. However, this was actually his fourth visit to the Jones home that day Jesus. with the first being early that morning, asking Andy's mother, Martha, if Andy could go to his home to do some chores in an interview. Andy would recall quote, I can remember it. Well, it was a Saturday. Mammy told Mr. Shoe I had to go to Dr. Knapp's first and finish some work there. He seemed to resent this, but asked if I would go, if I would go later that day and really quick, I'm not using Mammy in a derogatory no, way. No, That's just what the boy he's, called his mother. He's, he's, he's a, yeah, he's a black person. And that was like yeah. his term for his mother. So I just want to be very clear. I know Mammy is like it a whole stere yep. racial stereotype. And so the quote continues four times. He came back to the house for me. Each time I was busy about 1 PM. He came again and I agreed to run his errand. After Andy discovered Zona's body, which I didn't include that in here because the story is too long. We've already been through it, and it's really, really sad. Um, he went to find Dr. Knapp and described the scene. Um, when we reached the house, Shu had taken his wife from the floor, placed her on the bed, and oh, held her in his arms. Oh, the came back That's what the it doctor? sounds like. That's okay. what it sounds like. Like, I think, so he goes to his mother... The mother has like, go like, get the doctor. Go get the doctor. And he takes the doctor yep. to the house. Okay. And by this time, I think, I think I read that he all, he like ran into Edward and was like, holy fuck, your wife is dead. Right. And then went to go get the doctor. So Edward's already returned to the house at this point. He knows that Zona has been discovered. Um, so Andy says, when we reached the house, she had taken his wife from the floor, placed her on the bed and held her head in his arms, crying for her to come back. But strangest of all, although no one thought of it at the time, he addressed Mrs. Shue, placing one of those old fashioned high stiff collars around her neck and holding it in place with some kind of scarf. 
So that's the end of the quote. With the odd circumstances of Edward's repeated attempts to get Andy to the house and Dr. Knapp's admission that he wasn't able to fully examine Zona's body, Prosecutor Preston thought it would be a good place to start and ordered her body to be exhumed on yep. February 22nd, 1897, day after my birthday. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. She gets done. I mean, things didn't really get rolling until February 22nd. But you know. Yeah. Because there was no medical office, and this is a very, this is such an 1800s thing. Zona's body was taken to the local one-room schoolhouse to be examined. Jesus Christ. Can you imagine being the kids going to school? I'm and sure just they, like, like pause school. No, no, no. But I mean, like, everyone knew. Oh, yeah. Everyone knew. Where else are you going to take a body? To the schoolhouse. Do you think they were like, whose desk was she laid out on? They're all, like, looking at Probably their the desks. And, uh, I don't know. That's just, like. Oh, 100%. But also, like, my, my just envision being, like, kids, school's canceled for the week because there's a dead body in our in our classroom. The coroner needs to examine a potential murder suspect. Kids, you get a free day. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a snow day. It's a, it's a dead body day. Yep. Go, Go home. home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's, like, on the radio. Oh, yeah. And the following schools have a dead body day. <laughs> Tiny Town, West Virginia Elementary. All the kids are like, yay. Right. <laughs> Fuck. I'm going to go watch through the windows. Yay, I get to watch cartoons. I don't think those existed yet. Yay, I get to play with a stick. Actually, <laughs> they probably just did chores. Ch- childhood wasn't really a thing at that time. It's It's fine. It's fine. So the autopsy found that Zona's neck had indeed been broken. In a report published on March 9th, 1897, quote, the discovery was made that the neck was broken and the windpipe mashed. On, I know. Mashed is the worst. That is a very worst. descriptive word. Let's not use the word mash. How do you mash a windpipe? It's like a potato. It's awful. Yeah, hold no on, thanks. hold on. I have to I like make like, sure my throat mm. is still there. Hold on, let me drink some wine. Make sure it's working properly. Okay, we're good. I need to protect my instrument. On the throat, there were the marks of fingers indicating that she had been choked. Oh yeah, that's... The neck was dislocated between the first and second vertebrae. The ligaments were torn and ruptured. The windpipe had been crushed at a point in the front of the neck. The first and second vertebrae. That's like really high. I would have thought it would be lower. I don't know where my vertebrae is. <laughs> I just you know, know the general location. I mean, I know it's in the back of me. I know it's behind me. That's why every time I turn around to try and catch it, I can't because it's always behind me. Sneaky vertebrae. I guess it depends on which type of vertebrae. Because I guess you're... Yeah, you're like... Your cervical vertebrae, your first one's going to be like right under your skull. But then you're... Tr- um, the second set of vertebrae is like down here. So I guess, yeah, it's potential, I guess. Whatever prosecutor Preston thought of Mary's story and the accusation that Zona's death wasn't what it appeared. It was pretty clear now that she had not just died of the everlasting faint. She had not just dropped dead because right, like that wasn't reasons. A thing. <laughs> the part that gets me like, because, like, broken neck, this and that. Like, like not only was her neck broken, but, like, her windpipe was ruptured crushed. and crushed. Sorry. Mashed. mashed. Oh, oh God. God, no. <laughs> I can't. Your dog. Okay, so we got 
we have Navi in here with us and she is just like scratching herself and snoozing and living her best life. Like we're not talking about a mashed throat and I resent her for it. <laughs> I want to be able to be but, like, that. They also found fingerprints because yeah. I'm like, yeah, she could have fallen down the stairs and broken her neck, but it's like, but where the did fin- the yeah. fingerprint, like that's not how you like mash a throat. So. Edward Shue was arrested and held in the Lewisburg jail where he awaited trial. Hmm. Good. And during this time, everyone started digging into Edward's past. And the darkness of his story was exposed. His soul is so dark. He had notes of dark violence. (laughs) Heck yeah. So while it was known that Edward had been married twice before, it was discovered that he had abandoned his first wife and child after that wife accused him of abuse. Okay. He also he had also served two years as state penitentiary for stealing a horse, which I think is the most unremarkable thing about him. But he is he does have horse theft. He, he he's a felon like he has served time in prison. He eventually fled to Pocahontas County where he met and married his second wife. Edward's second marriage was not any happier. Less than a year into their marriage, Edward's wife was killed when he accidentally dropped a brick on her head while he was repairing the roof of their home. What? Yes. Accidentally dropped a brick on her head uh-huh. while repairing the roof of their home. Mm-hmm. I know this is the 1800s and people die of the weirdest shit. But like, do you like? That's, I don't know how big yeah, that that's brick just is. Super sketchy. But if it's like a roof brick, like that has to be the most perfect drop imaginable. Like, she had to be standing so still, or, like, God really wanted her dead. Like, something had to happen. You don't just accidentally drop a brick on someone from a roof, and they die. Apparently you do. Or do you? I don't know. I think he confused the words dropped and bludgeoned. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking. You know, it's all semantics when you get down to it. Once again, after this mysterious death, Edward fled, this time appearing in Greenbrier County, where he met Zona. While awaiting trial, Edward seemed pretty confident as he bragged to reporters about his ambition of marrying seven women and that he would soon be free to pursue this goal as there was no evidence against him. Hmm. Which, like, weird flex, dude. Weird brag. Weird life goals. Like, I'm not going to yuck on your yum, but when you have a wife who's divorced you because you abused her and now two dead wives, it's really weird to say, like, only four to go to reach my dream of marrying seven women. Yeah. Because he doesn't say at the same time. I would prefer bigamy at this point. Right. I'm just saying. So that's weird. This was a super tasteless thing for him to be saying and bragging about while he's in jail awaiting trial for the murder of his wife. But it's totally understandable that Edward was so self-assured. After all, it was his word against the ghosts. And we don't even believe living women. <laughs> Let alone dead ones, no matter how far around they can turn their creepy necks. <laughs> 
So prosecutor Preston called several witnesses, including Dr. Knapp, who told of how Edward refused to let him examine Zona's head or neck, and Andy, who told the jury how Edward had come to his house four fucking times throughout the day trying to get him there. Also, I don't think that this really has any relevance, but I thought it was really cool how Edward went to Andy's house four times and Zona appeared to her mother four times. Yeah. I'm just saying. Hmm. Other witnesses testified that Edward had been the only one at the home before Zona was found. They talked about how he addressed Zona in a way that specifically obscured her her neck and wouldn't let anyone close and how after the dramatics of the funeral, he showed no signs of grieving. Big giant fucking asterisks next to that. Everyone grieves differently. Right. But there was the, the impression I get is that he was when there was someone watching, he was over the top grieving and then after she was buried it was like nothing had happened which again everyone grieves differently and if that was the only thing anyone had to go on i'd be like that's nothing but there's a lot of other weird shit going on yeah including a history of domestic violence and potential murder yeah finally the most anticipated witness was called to the stand mary jane hester She described her visions, asserting that they were not dreams, but rather visions that she had had while fully conscious. According to Mary, Zona told her, quote, because this is, first of all, this is a real case. Like, this happened. There is court record of all of this. Quote, uh, so she's speaking for Zona. She's saying Mm -hmm. what Zona told her. So he came that night from the shop and seemed angry. I told him supper was ready, and he began to chide me because I had prepared no meat. I replied, there was plenty, bread and butter, applesauce, preserves, and other things that made a good supper. He flew into a rage, got up, and came toward me. When I raised up, he seized each side of my head with his hands and by a sudden wrench dislocated my neck. This is Zona. Mm -hmm. Ghost Zona. Mm -hmm. Defense attorney Dr. Rucker understandably questioned Mary thoroughly about this. And I didn't even include everything, just like a few choice exchanges. And actually, Kelly, I am going to ask you to go into my notes in the drive. Oh, God. And read for for defense attorney Dr. Rucker. Hold on. I have to find the correct notes. Sorry, I should have given you a heads up, but I also kind of forgot that I was going to do this. But yeah, it's just the back and forth. So if you want to do like, I don't know if you want to do like a Southern lawyer, mm, the rural juror kind of thing, I wouldn't hate it. Okay. Are you ready? I am ready. I'm not going to do an accent. Damn you. (laughs) Now, Mrs. Hester, this sad affair was particularly impressed upon your mind and there was not a moment during your waking hours that you did dwell upon it? No, sir. There was not. There is not yet either. Also, I love you said you weren't going to do an accent and you fucking went for it. The accent took you. You can't not do it. I love you. This is why we're friends. And I'm this so was, sweaty. I'm, I am too. It's hot in here. Yeah. And this was not a dream founded upon your distressed condition of mind? No, sir. It was not a dream. I was as wide awake as I ever was. Then if not a dream or dreams, what do you call it? I prayed to the Lord that he might come and tell me what happened. And I prayed that she might come herself and tell on him. Did you think you you actually saw your daughter in flesh and blood? Yes, sir, I do. I told them the very dress she was wearing when she was murdered. Rucker tried to also get Mary to admit that her visions were mere dreams. And he did this in like not such a sneaky way. 
Now I would like it, if I could, to get you to say these were four dreams and not visions or appearances of your daughter in flesh and blood. If I'm going to say that, I'm going to lie. Then you insist your daughter actually appeared in flesh and blood before you on four different occasions. Yes, sir. Like, he literally is like, could you please say, say they the were words? Dreams. Could you please say the words, they were dreams? I like that he, she's like, no. Well, she's <laughs> like, if I'm going to, she's not even telling him no. She's like, if I do, it would be lying. Right, like, but I, like I can say it, but it's going to be a lie. I'm not going to be in contempt of court here, but it's like, I would love to, it, it's like, can you imagine someone, like an attorney, going to a witness and be like, okay, if you could say these words, I deaf kill them. That would be fantastic. And then it's like, case closed. See, they fucking did it. I'm looking at you, Scott Peterson. We fucking know it was you. So, Mary also described the detail in detail Zona's home and the neighborhood in which she lived, saying that Zona had told her about this. And this may not seem odd, like it's her mom, except that Mary had never visited Zona in her marital home. She had never been to visit. She'd never been to the area. And people who actually lived there were like, damn, she knows this place better than we do. She's like, oh, my God. She, like, knows all these crazy details. Edward was also questioned during the trial, spending nearly a day on the stand, which is damn. rough. Yeah. And, like, I've heard cases. So there are a lot of cases where the the person on trial does not get on the stand in their own defense. And I've heard people say that makes them look guilty. It's actually a really smart move because even an innocent person, like you sound like a fucking idiot on the stand. I'm just going to say it right now. When someone's questioning you about whether or not you killed someone, and it's like an expert in the law there. It's, it's tough. It's really hard. You open well, yourself they, up. They try to like turn things around. Like cross-examination is ruthless it's incredibly stressful which is also why a lot of survivors of sexual violence don't want to get like press charges because they don't want to be re-traumatized yep but like and then everyone's judging you because like the jury they're watching you react to what other people are saying and it's pretty easy to just kind of like sit there and not but when you're on the stand and someone's peppering you with questions whether you did it or not it's how do you not get emotional about that or maybe you don't get emotional enough because everyone's litmus test for what's normal is different and it's crazy so at this time I think it was pretty common for the defense to get up on the stand so he's he's on the stand for a day and Edward talked a lot but he didn't really have a lot to say that sounds accurate he focused on describing unimportant events and details surrounding his wife's death while denying everything the witnesses had claimed as part of his defense, he looked at the jury and told them to look into his eyes and then say if he was guilty. And they did just that. As reported in the Greenbrier Independent, quote, taking the verdict of the jury as, as ascertaining the truth, we must conclude that Shu deliberately broke his wife's neck, probably with his strong hands. Why they gotta All be right. strong? Like, why are we complimenting? With his strong, tan, chiseled hands. And with no other motive than to be rid of her so he might get another one more to his liking. Again, please, when you're on trial for your wife's murder, don't start bragging about how your, like, magic number of wives is seven. Just don't, don't fucking do it. Yeah. Free legal advice. From a podcast. From a podcast. Edward Shue was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. Now, really quick, I want to pause. I said there would be some debate. 
what do you think of this? Like, cause Kelly, I know you're really into true crime. You're a psychologist. Like there's a lot of weird stuff going around from a ghost to genuinely sus behavior. So, like, what, what, what do you think? Do you think they should have found him guilty? Would you have found him guilty? Like, like, that one's really hard because I don't think I would have found him not guilty. But the whole beyond a reasonable doubt thing comes in, which, which, I mean, that just that just means like you don't know, you don't find him not guilty, but there's just not enough proof to be like, yes, he is one thousand percent guilty. Yes. there is no doubt in my mind. So, like, I err on the side of guilty, but I could definitely see how jury people might be like, eh, like, I feel like there is, it's, it rides that line between, like, potentially enough proof to be like, yeah, he's guilty, mm-hmm. but also potentially enough proof to have that, have it be questionable. Like, he's definitely sus. 100%. As hell. So, like... I don't think there would ever be a straight not guilty verdict, but I could see like a hung jury where there's just not enough burden of proof. Nowadays, I could totally see that. I think back then, um, probably guilty. Yeah. And I mean, that, that's what they found. And my the, the struggle I have with it is that, and and I get into this, but the, the, the allure of this case is that a ghost convicted her own murderer. It's yeah. like, that's not what happened. What happened was allegedly this ghost came to her mother and was like, he broke my neck. She got someone to look into it. And then that independent person found, oh my God, someone fucking strangled this woman and broke her neck. So it's not like, we don't know how she died. And then like the mother comes up with the story and everyone's like, oh, that must be what happened. Like they're finding physical evidence for this. And... While the rest of the evidence is circumstantial, it's not like they're going, it's not like they can match up his hands to right. the marks on her neck or you know, anything like that. But statistically, a woman in is most likely to be killed when she's pregnant or Ooh. like trying to leave. Yeah, actually, I think um, the partner is one of the, I got, I got to look up the statistic. But one of the leading causes of death of pregnant women is murdered by their partner. Even just not pregnant women, like women, people in general. But when they're pregnant, the 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 danger rises significantly. Yeah. And terrible. Um, He has a history of domestic violence. Yeah. Even if we can write off the second wife, which like. I don't like the first wife lived and divorced him for abuse for abusing her and her child. Um, The fact that he was the only one there and it is really like, here's the thing. I would love if we could have gotten a time of death because he went to that, the, the other house four times, four times throughout the day, starting in the morning. And finally at 1 PM, Andy was like, okay, I can go check on your fucking wife. Jesus, what are you doing with your time? Right, like how weird is that? That's really weird. And when I when I read that, I was like, I bet he killed her in the night. Yeah. And now he's he's trying, he's orchestrating the discovery Someone else of the body. Him. Yeah, because it's like. And that you would do that with a child? Well, and the fact that like in the time that you went to ask this child to go check on your wife four times, yeah, how did you not have the time to go back to your own house in 
that like, time where frame. were you right between going to this house and asking for someone to look in on your wife yeah. were you at work it's can we get super, some corroboration right like can mr crookshank say you were at work during right, like, those yeah, times like, what what is the timeline of your movements yes because it is really weird to me that he would have the time to go to a neighbor's house being like, can you check in on my wife? But he couldn't go check on his own fucking wife. Right. Four times. Yeah, that's what I find weird too. All day. All day. Plus it's like, yeah, where is this neighbor's house related to like where he works or whatever he was doing that day and then relation to his own house? Like how, yeah, how was it faster to go and ask the neighbor boy than to just go home and ask your wife? Yeah, and so here's the thing. I don't know if all of this was examined in the trial. Right. This is definitely something that would have been brought up in a modern day trial. They would have had a much easier time tracking something like that. Um, But there is a lot of, if it was one thing, Right. If it was the weird grieving behavior and that was it, fine. If it was just asking the boy four times, fine. If but it's it was everything added just together. the pattern of domestic violence, which is a big thing. Even then I'd be like, mm. like right. that's that's a lot because that's not that's not something that you just do and then stop doing like I had a bad day. No, no, this is who you are. This is parent behavior. There is circumstantial evidence is evidence and when you can bring it all together like that it tells a very compelling story and again I don't think this idea that the ghost came back I think this just got that got someone to start asking questions yeah I think that's it that was the inciting incident it was that it wasn't that the ghost came it was that Mary Jane was like you need to fucking look at this again she could have fucking made it up. Right. But they looked and they found that she had definitely been strangled. And that's the part I can't get over. It's not like they were like, we exhumed her and there was, it was totally inconclusive. There was nothing weird. It's like we literally found finger marks on her. On like her mashed wind fight. Y'all. So yeah. I'm just saying, I think they made the right call here. Um, but it is I, like if I was on this jury, I, I would that would be tough. Also, I can't imagine that they would put Mary Jane on the fucking stand. <laughs> I, I, I think they would just say the mother raised some concerns. Right. And so we looked into it anyway. Um, there was a bit about some like failed mob justice, like people were pissed that he oh, was yeah. only getting a life sentence in prison, not the death penalty. So, like, a bunch of people showed up and tried to kill him, and that got really dramatic. But after that died down, Edward was moved to Moundsville Penitentiary to serve out his sentence. And while it was widely reported that a ghost testimony had sealed Edward Shue's fate, the Baltimore American wrote, quote, The principal evidence was that of Shue's mother-in-law, who testified that her daughter's spirit had come to her uh, at a seance and said that Shue had killed her by breaking her neck. All the other, other evidence is purely circumstantial. So that's what they're saying. They're like, it was this woman's testimony that convicted him. And yeah. don't get me wrong. She was definitely the breakout star of this case and the breakout witness. But that's not because she had the best evidence. It's because her testimony was so insane. The better testimony is from Andy, who found the body, who can report that Edward came to his home four times and was pissed when he couldn't go to the shoe residence sooner. Dr. Knapp, who tried to examine the body and every time he got close to the neck, 
literally like Edward wouldn't let him from the witnesses who were like, he was like really all over her head and neck. And that's weird from the, from the autopsy that proved that she was murdered. Like that was the circum quote unquote circumstantial evidence that I think convicted him, but it was the ghost or the story that got them to even look again. Which is insane. Yeah. So like, that quote is partially true, but the fact that Zona's neck had been broken with signs of strangulation weren't circumstantial. Also, circumstantial evidence is evidence. Thank you. Right. Edward spent the rest of his short life in prison, dying only eight years later. He, You can Google this. I didn't want to spend more time on him. He made some creepy drawings of him and Zona while in prison, and it's it's really gross and spooky, and he's clearly, like, a dis- he's not disturbed in a way that he's like not responsible for his actions, but he's clearly like a fucked up person. Yeah. It's, it gets weird. Anyway. Um, while Edward was buried in unmarked grave, Zona was reinterred with a nearby historical marker that reads quote, interred in nearby cemetery is Zona Hester shoe. Her death in 1897 was presumed natural until her spirit appeared to her mother to describe how she was killed by her husband, Edward. Autopsy on the exhumed body verified the apparition's account. Edward, found guilty of murder, was sentenced to the state prison, only known case in which testimony from a ghost helped convict a murderer. And hmm. there is an asterisk next to that final statement. Only known case in which testimony from a ghost helped convict a murderer. There is a very, I didn't, I didn't write this down, but I just listened to a podcast episode uh, by Morbid. I highly recommend you check them out. Um, Ash and Elena are awesome. But they covered the case of Teresita Bassa. Um, she was a young woman who was murdered and a coworker was allegedly possessed by her spirit and revealed who had killed her. And much like this case, it got the police to like double check. Like, yeah. well, we, you know, we don't really have anything to go on. We might as well like look into this. And they actually found evidence corroborating the story because the killer had stolen jewelry from Teresita hmm. and they found the jewelry in his home. He had given Jesus it to his, Christ. he had given it to his fucking girlfriend. Yeah. I hate it's fucking, so creepy when people do that. Fucking gross. But I think it's interesting. Like, man, if I had a nickel for every time this happened, I have two nickels. But it's weird it happened twice. And I'm sure there are other stories. But that is the story of the Greenbrier ghost. Wow. As she is known. Elva Zona Hester Shue and, and her mother, Mary Jane Hester. Who was like, I fucking know a bad egg when I see one. I see you, Trout Shoe. I see you, Trout Shoe, motherfucker. Trout Shoe. Fucking Trout Shoe. I should have called him that the entire time, but it, Edward was just a lot easier to continue writing. Yeah. <laughs> should be T.S. Trout Shoe. T.S. Just call him. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I think... Even without the ghost story, I think there's compelling evidence that he fucking did it. And again, yeah, the like, ghost, the, the the cool part about this story is that the evidence that they found, the real evidence on the real body that they found, corro- d- the ghost didn't corroborate that evidence. The evidence corroborated the exactly. ghost. 
As I'm like dying over Kelly here. Kelly is being possessed by Zona, who is here to tell her story. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Miss Zona. No. Fucking trout chew, man. Trout chew. Tired of the same old podcasts every week? When you're ready for something different, come give us a shot. Greetings. We're technically a conversation, a podcast for curious people by curious people. Every week, we take turns sharing a new topic, and the other host has no idea what the topic will be. Our topics are all over the place, from light and funny to dark and sometimes spooky. We've covered everything from true crime, historical events and people, pop culture icons, the supernatural and occult. I like that. And legends and folklore. My favorite. We're like the Dollar Tree stuff you should know. Except completely different. No matter what the topic is, we try to make the episodes funny. Yeah, you may not want to advertise that. Our jokes aren't very good. What are you talking about? My jokes are fantastic. <laughs> hey, I get paid to laugh either way. Wait, you get paid? Check us out at technicallyaconversation.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Shout out to the 11 and a half people that listen to us on Google Podcasts. Wait, you said you were getting paid? Hey guys, we know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to or it can be hard to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Thank goodness. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash herstory. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash herstory. All right, Kelly, it, that, that was like an hour and I'm so yeah. sorry, but I hope it was like, a, I think that was a cool story. I thought that was a really cool story. But who are you whining about? My story is also really long. So like this might have to be like a double feature. I don't know. No, no. It's one episode. Y'all can pause and start long. and listen at your own leisure. We're not breaking this up. We'll see. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I am whining about. Hold on. My notes are like. Really far <laughs> scroll down for some reason. Okay, mine have been doing that too. Like the scroll radius on my mouse is insane where it's like I do one little click and it's like, you mean page three? <laughs> and it's like, no. God damn it. It's like, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. Okay. Where, what is time? So I am whining about Haleen Gigato. Haleen Gigato. It's spelled like Haleen. It's spelled Helen, but it's French, so it has like tildes and stuff. And so I looked it up and it's Haleen, or that's like my closest approximation. Okay. So French, um, get ready for a lot of linguistic butchery because it's French. 
I love some we good all, linguistic we butchery. We all know can, how Emily and I's relationship with the French language goes. Can, can I just say, though, like, and I'm, I don't know your story. I haven't heard this person. Assuming Haleen sucks. Mm-hmm. I feel like we are almost encouraged to fuck up everything because she sucks and fuck her. <laughs> right? Like your like your story the person was murdered. And so like there there is the potential that mine could be but you're just like she sucks. No, no, she no. does suck. But. I preface that with assuming. Yeah. Now, if she doesn't, we need to be really good about her name and then call everyone Trout Shoe. Trout Shoe. Everyone's Trout Shoe. Don't yes. be a trout shoe. Don't be a fucking trout shoe. All right. So I kind of did the same thing you did where it's like a little bit in the future and then we go back. See, these stories lend themselves for, to such good narration. Like it's not just a biography. It's a fucking tales. Yes. From the crypt. So on Tuesday, the 1st of July, in the year of 1851. The year of our Lord. Two men presented themselves at the office of the Procureur General. So like general, I'm assuming like the attorney general is kind of what I have in the my proctor mind. The proctor general. The prosecutor is what I assume. The proctitis general. In the city of Rene, I think is how you pronounce it. Rene. Rene. It's Rene. Hey, look, I got it right on the first yeah. try. Rene. The city of Rene. Um, <laughs> these men did not have to tell the prosecutor who they were. They were well-known medical men of the city. Doctors Penalt and Boudin. Penalt and Bowden. Yeah, sure. Bowden. Dr. Penalt came to say that they were of, I like, I put this in there because I liked how the person wrote it, but they had some distress of the mind. Distress of the mind. We have the eternal faint and the distress of the mind. Right. Can I go and go to my primary care physician and just be like, I have distress. So I'm suffering from... You know, bouts of eternal faint, semi-eternal faint, you might say, and dis- what disruption of the distress mind, distress of distress the mind, distress of the That's mind. Literally, like what I. How are you today? Well, I have some distress of the mind, but right. otherwise, I'm faint. Yeah, <laughs> it's faint. Um, so, Doctor Penault talked about how um, Doctor Boudin had called him for a consultation of a girl named Rosalie Sarazin, who was a servant of a man named M. Bedard, who was. Um, like a man of the law is kind of how they say. I think he was like a lawyer. Okay, cool. Um, so in spite of the fact that both himself and Dr. Budin had tried to treat Rosalie, Rosalie ended up dying and they found out that the symptoms of the illness that Rosalie had died from were very much the same as a case of Bad- one of Bedard's other servants named Rose, who had also died just a few months previous. Um, with this in mind, they persuaded the relatives of Rosalie to... Per- to permit an autopsy. They they told the prosecutor that they found no trace of poison in the body, but they were still convinced that the girl had died of poisoning. Um, with the two of them there, and um, the two doctors were able to put such facts before, before the prosecutor general that the official almost at once reached for his hat to accompany the two doctors to Mr. Bedard's residence. So the, they're going to talk to the dude. Is the the guy whose daughter is dead. Servants. Two of his servants died. Oh, okay. Two of and his servants think, died. They think they were both poisoned. Okay. So they're going to talk to the employer. Yep. The house, okay. The, the owner of the house. Yep. So okay. the door to the professor's house was opened to them by Helene Jagato, 
Another of uh, Mr. Bedard's servants. She was a woman of about 40 odd years. And again, this was like, they describe her as like somewhat homely looking, not exactly ugly, but uh, they said prepossessing of countenance, which means she was, she's not attractive. Yeah. And like, here's the thing. We, we don't judge the women that we cover good or bad based on their appearances. Put it in there. I do want to point out, like there's no, there are no photos of this one, but there's an illustration and she looks like a puppy. Someone just there. There's illustrations from like in the courtroom. And yeah, I'm like, she She looks, looks, she looks very sad. You know, like you think of like the, I'm going to say dowdy because that's like a word you've heard to describe it. But like the old maid, like the the, the really old maid that's kind of hunched and like, yeah, that's what she looks like. But this one illustration, she literally looks like someone just kicked her puppy. She's like, why? Yeah. Like, like whoever drew this is great at faces because the emotion is intense. Yeah. So she opened the door and she had a habit of looking anywhere but at the face of the person addressing her um, which can be a cultural right, thing exactly I'm, I'm in a devil devil's advocate the fuck for That's fine helene 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 right helene ushered the three gentlemen into oh so he was a professor of law sorry um in into like the study where mr Bedard, the professor was you know sitting professing exactly and however um Haleen kind of lingered at the door so the prosecutor says you know we have come uh Mr. Bedard on a this is the quote I don't know if this is a direct quote or if somebody made this quote up but I took it so it says quote we have come M. Bedard because his, his name I don't I wrote it somewhere but his name actually started with an M this is at the time where they called you by your first initial yeah. and then your last name yeah so on a rather painful mission, one of your servants died recently and it is suspected of poisoning. I am innocent was cried from the doorway and the three visitors wheeled to, tur- to stare at the housemaid. It was her that had made the exclamation. God damn it, Helene. Innocent of what demanded the law officer? No one has accused you of anything. You couldn't be cool for 30 fucking seconds. This incautious remark on the part of Helene, together with the fact that um, the two doctors were already there, and then the employer kind of was like, yeah, she's a little sketchy. Um, I hope he said that in front of her. I hope they were, they all just look at her, and and then they kind of thumb back at the, like, to the employer, like, What's with this bitch? And, and she's and he's like, just like, yeah, she's, she's kind of sketch. She's super sketch. She's sus. We should um, eject her from the spaceship. So they arrested her. And and from there, Helene's past was inquired into. And a very strange and horrible tale unfolded over the last 20 years of her life. And unfortunately, it was a tale of a lot of death. You look very startled, Navi. Well, she heard me talk about kicking puppies. She's like, mom, save me. Yeah. Actually, that's the face. Yeah. That's the face in the illustration. She looks so sad and like, but why? Well, now she's stretching out and she's She's happy. going back to sleep. She is the happiest fucking dog right now. Is it weird that murder relaxes her? A little, but not, not really. Cause I listen to a lot of murder shows. So she's probably just used to it. This is true. Um, so we're now we will go back in time. Now that Helene's been arrested, we will go back in time. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. Cool. Back cool, cool, cool. to the future. So Helene was born in Brittany, France in 1803 in the middle of the French Revolution. 
What a time. She lost her mother at the age of seven and was orphaned. So I'm assuming her father just wasn't around. It literally never mentioned him in any of the stories. It just said her mother died and she was orphaned. So I'm like, all right. To, I mean, I mean, I guess he could have been off fighting in the French Revolution. Maybe he died in battle. Well, he could have been murdered in the French Revolution. Yeah. Also, men were not held responsible for exactly. impregnating women. So he could have just peaced out right. and never seen them again. So I dreamed a dream and time gone by. That was a weird interjection. That's what the song's about, though. I know, but She still. gets pregnant, and the dude pieces out, and she's like, he took my childhood in his stride, that bitch. I always thought she got raped. No, it was like, um, because she's dreaming of him coming back. She's like, you know, uh, I remember the time we spent together. He spent a childhood by my side. Or he spent a summer by my side. Oh, that's right. I dreamed okay, we yeah. lived the years together. He took my childhood in his stride. And then just and nope he was the gone when out. he noped the fuck out when autumn came. Yep, Those were right. the exact you're right, you're words. Right, right. Um, this is what that's about. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So the mom died. She was orphaned and was sent to, to um, her two aunts that were servants at a rectory in Burberry. 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 Burberry is well, Burberry. how it's spelled, but I know it's pronounced Burberry. Um, so yeah, Burberry. she was sent to live with her two aunts who were servants of the clergy. 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 Um, Curdled cheese. After 17 years of living with her aunts at the rectory, she accompanied one of her aunts to this town of Seglene, um, where at the age of 23, she would become a servant herself because what else was she going to do? Because she probably didn't get any education. Um, okay, really quick. What what was the town called? Burberry. No, the other one. Seguin. Is there an L in it? Yes. Oh, okay, because I was thinking Seguin, like Seguin, Texas, that's named after that guy who was buried there, even though he didn't have anything. Yeah, that was remember? weird. Remember? Yeah, but I was wondering if, like, no, maybe that's Seguin. I couldn't remember There's if he was friends. an L in it. So I'm like, oh, my God, maybe that's where it came from. No. That was a weird story. Yep. A small town that had nothing else going on. So weird. Basically claimed ownership over this guy's dead body and kidnapped him, his dead body from Mexico, and buried it in Texas to be like, like, he's our hero. And they named their town after him. Anyways, so she would become a servant girl and a cook for the, the, the curé, which is just another... Like, it was still... She's still working for... Mm -hmm. The church, um, where an incident arose that she lived there, where she was accused of adding hemp to the curé's grain soup. Um, I think she just wanted the guy to like loosen up and have a little bit of fun. I mean, but you know, no she one was knows. so far ahead of her time. They weren't even talking about microdosing, right? Yet. Exactly. <laughs> so after that happened, hey, if you want to see God, you got to get fucking stoned. I'm just saying, right? So oddly enough, she like didn't like. Like, the clergy didn't kick her out. She was still a servant, like, for different people. She ended up being employed by another priest, Father Francois Le Drogo. Um, <gasps> Cal Drogo. In a nearby village of Gurn. And between June 28th and October 3rd of working for Father Francois, seven members of the household she was working for died suddenly, including the priest himself... Both of his elderly parents, her own sister that happened to be visiting her, and a number of servants that were not listed. 
but seven people total. So the priest, two parents, her own sister, and presumably three servants that... Can you imagine being included in the servants not listed? You were you were potentially murdered as an other servants I not listed. I just assume listed. it must have been servants because it said like seven, seven members of the household died, but then it only listed four. And I'm like, yeah. so the other ones must have been like... Probably. People they assume to be unimportant yeah no but that that sucks it okay like yeah no that just sucks yeah helene was uh, like overcome with sorrow for like all of these months she did a lot of crying and she had she was very pious in behavior um and a lot of people were like oh you're so lucky that you survived and she's like i'm not lucky everyone around me died i'm so sad she was very good at crying on command, you know. I wish I had that power. I know. I'm really bad. Like, I'm bad at crying even when I want to cry. In, in the rabbit hole of, like, this story, like, there was a sub article about, like, there's, like, a condition that you can cry on command. And I, like, read the entire article and it was super interesting. And I'm like, I want to be able to do that. Kelly the psychologist. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so she was, she was very full of sorrow, pious behavior. Um, and a lot of people were like, well, the cholera epidemic just happened the year before. So like, maybe there's still some of that hanging around, stuff like that. And all the deaths were, um, attributed to natural causes, but this is her, the the first time she's fully suspected of poisoning people. Mm -hmm. So Helene would return to Burberry. 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 Um, to basically take over her sister's job, which I'm like literally nowhere else other than the sister dying and then her taking her sister's place. Like, is the sister ever mentioned? Again, I would be pissed. So I'm like, is I it want like, my death to be all about me. The eternal fate never yeah. ends, people. I'm like, is it like sister? Like, is it a true sister? But it is because her or is it the like sister's a name was Aunt Anne. Um. um Gigato. So like it was her yeah. sister and they just never mentioned her at the beginning for some reason. Um, but so she went to Burberry to like replace her sister for, as a servant because her family was just all servants. Um, and suddenly three people died, including one of her aunts over the course of three months, all of whom she like cared for and like tried to bring back from the brink and all of this stuff. Um, again, overcome with grief and not wanting to like stay where all these people died. She would re- relocate to La- Las Mine, um, where she would board with a needleworker named Marie-Jean Le Boucher, which I really like that name. Okay. okay. Yes. I love that name. I would also love to like know how to pronounce it in a really like pretty sexy way. But this is like, scr- this is just giving a lot of Jane Topin. Yeah. Th- this whole like savior complex of like i tried to save them and oh my god i couldn't now i need to fucking go and like because this is just too much jane toppin she was super into this whole like bringing people to the edge and then bringing them back taking the accolades from that but then like when things started to get sus for her she just peace right so at her time with um marie le boucher um both Marie and her daughter would soon get sick and die. Um, her son would also fall ill, and it's possible that her son survived because he didn't like Helene. And so, like, once he fell ill, he was like, no, you are you don't get to take care of me. I don't like you. Like, go the fuck away. That so was she, someone who had a fuck. That's some su- fucking sixth sense right, right. there. So he, he was, he managed to survive. 
Um, obviously, though, since like the owner of the house passed away, she had to room somewhere else. And a widow named Lori offered her a room. Um, and she would also soon die after supposedly after eating a bowl of soup that her new boarder had prepared. No, never, never fucking do it. Right. So she would travel again in May of that year, and Helene would be hired by Madame Toussaint, um, where four more deaths would follow. Um, It didn't list who it was, but by this time, if we're keeping track of the body count of potential people that Helene has killed, we're at 17. In two years. Jesus Christ! Later in that year, she would be employed as a servant as a con at a convent in Oray, um, but was rapidly dismissed, this time not for death, but because she was caught vandaliz- vandalizing, stealing, and other sacrilegious things. Oh, no, no, no. The, the death surrounding you is fine, but you stole some communion wafers, and we just cannot have that. Right. Sacrilegious things. <laughs> I know. Oh, okay, here's the thing. That could mean literally anything. Exactly. Like she did not say bless you after someone sneezed yeah. or like someone saw her ankle. Right. You know, it, it's like, okay, I would really love a more definitive definition of what right. sacrilege is. Exactly. So after she was dismissed from the convent, Helene would work as a cook in um, a number of other households in various cities. She kind of would bounce from place to place. Um, being employed only briefly at at, at each one where she would often be dismissed after someone fell ill or died. Um, but there was also a lot of thefts, uh, reports of theft, and a lot of people say that she was probably a kleptomaniac and was often actually caught stealing. Um, isn't isn't kleptomania one of the signs of, like, childhood abuse? Like, or no. Mm-mm. No? Okay. I, I, I so. thought that was, like, something that might manifest. I mean, I guess that just includes, like, different behaviors that can manifest from like a bad childhood i do think it can be a sign of like serial killers i think that's one of yeah. the boxes well there's like a there's like petty crime can be one of the things like it's like an it can be an early thing and i'm not saying anyone who steals is like going to be a serial killer because obviously they're relatively rare right but like she's definitely looking for a sense of power and control yeah and it's like Killing someone is a big job. Not that I would know, but I just assume like it takes a lot and like to not get caught and all that. So that's kind of like a a little, a little way for her to feel a sense of control. And like, she's pulling one over on everyone else, even though she's like apparently really fucking bad at it. Yeah. So during this time, one of her most infamous murders happened and it was that of a child, like a young child. Obviously she's killed people's kids before, but this was a young child named, uh, Marie Bregere, um, who died at the Chateau de Soyer in um, May of 1841. Um, after that, or like after 1841, between 1841 and 1849, there's no record of any suspected deaths, which is kind of interesting. But this was a lot of like when she was getting caught for thefts. So, so no, maybe no she one's was really like- sure why for 10 years. Like, no one's really sure if she just like was poisoning people and they weren't dying or if she was trying to be a little bit more straight or if if the kleptomaniac or the like the stealing was kind of taking that edge off so she didn't need like no one's really sure why but there was like a random eight year gap that like 
they can't trace any deaths back to her. So like there are there are a lot of serial killers that that you know where they they figure out who it is and they trace mm-hmm. these breaks in their their killing sprees and there can be a lot of life changes like yeah. it's a relocation, it's a marriage, it's you have kids, you you know there there are a lot or like maybe like a parental figures that like yeah. there's a lot of stuff that can go yeah, on like, that can put a pause she's on she's already it. been moving around a lot she's not ne- she was never married she never had kids so like yeah. that's why they're kind of like we don't really know why i would also be- i mean it feels maybe she like didn't mean to kill the little kid and then she felt like she genuinely felt bad like I don't think they so. literally like just don't know they're like we there's no significant thing we can trace back to why she may have stopped I think it's probably more likely that she may have been killing and they didn't document it because yeah, isn't, isn't she isn't she doing this stuff like around all these these rectories and like with the clergy and like, uh, like for these th- prominent- this one she was just kind of like hopping around from house to house she was working as yeah. a cook so like it, it wasn't always for the clergy in these ones and like I think kind of after that the vandalism and sacrilege she kind of stopped working for the clergy mm-hmm. and was doing more like household servant yeah. work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe she was laying low, maybe too maybe she fucking got sick, yeah, maybe she was maybe she was kind of like working some low level yeah. stuff because um one of the reasons that oh my god, I'm blanking on her name. I know it. I know it. The woman with typhoid Mary. Yeah. Mary Mary Mal- Malin. Um, one of the reasons that they figured out what was, I'm not even going to say what she was doing because it was, I mean, it wasn't intentional. It was not intentional. Um, but one of the reasons they figured out what was happening is because a super wealthy family got sick and a bunch of people died and they were like, Whoa, that's not normal. So I wonder if maybe she was like doing some low level work where maybe people were dying and they were just like, yeah, I don't know. Fucking disease, man. It sucks. It's the 1800s in France. Shit's crazy. Yeah. Or yeah, maybe she, because of the stealing and stuff, she was just getting kicked out of where she was living sooner than she was able to like fully poison them. Cause it kind of seems like, it kind of seems like she dosed up, you know what I mean? Like they would be sick for a while and then they would die. Yeah. So like maybe well, and the that's stealing a- and stuff escalated to the point where like, yeah, people were getting sick. Yeah. But no one ever died. Well, and that's what you see with like some of these serial poisoners is that there's this, um, this escalation in the like, it's this buildup. And that's, that's the thrill of like bringing someone to the edge. And then yeah. you're the one who decides whether or not they get that next dose or not, you know, it's, it's really sadistic. I keep thinking of Jane Toppin yeah. and like how she got potentially sexual gratification from like yeah. watching people suffer and her being the one who was in control of that suffering. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Um, Weird. So after 1849, her, her career would take a turn rather. She would kind of go back to her old tricks, but she, this is when she would move to Renee, the capital city of like the region of France she was in. Um, and this is when she would come. So M must be stand for Mister because I have this guy's full, oh Monsieur. Uh, I have the guy's full name, and his name is Theophile. He really loves a good Theo. He's very he's a yes. Theo enthusiast. So 1849, 1850. Yeah, must mean Monsieur. Yeah. Um, Helene joined the household staff of Theophile Bedard, a law professor at the University of Renee. Again, though, she's working for someone who has yep. influence and exactly. pull. And so maybe, I don't know. I, I have a hard time believing that without another significant life event. Yeah, maybe exactly. there's a life like event maybe that there we, is that just wasn't recorded. That we don't know. Like she could have totally gotten 
she could have totally had a kid yeah. that we don't know about. Yeah. Um, but I have a really hard time believing that. Yeah. They're, like, it's, it's interesting. Like, I, I really want to know, but they're like, I, unfortunately, I mean, yeah, it's there's too, it's no too long way. ago. To, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So shortly after Helene joined this, joined the staff, one of his other servants, Rose Tessier, fell ill and Helene would devote all of her spare time to nursing her friend, but all to no avail as her patient would eventually die. Again, Helene was completely distraught, but it wasn't long before she made a new friend that she would bring into Bedard's household. Oh, ew, what? The Okay, the second servant that she murdered, so, so Rose, she brought into the household? Yeah, because, because the guy needed to replace the servant that died. That is fucked. Yeah. That, okay, that... Obviously, I, I, none I, don't, of this- I don't know if she knew Rosalie or if she met Rosalie like when the guy hired her, but, but they became friends. Right, right. But still, the point is she murders she murders Rosalie. Yep. Oh no, she she murders Rose. I'm, excuse and then me. Rosalie comes in to take Rose's place. So, and now so, she's gonna murder Rosalie. But she murders Rose, who she had allegedly struck struck up a friendship with. Yep. And then whether it was with the intention of luring her to murder her or what, she lures the next, the replacement for her murder victim yeah. to murder. Yep. Like all of this is super fucked up, but that is an extra calculating step of it. That is really dark. And that's like, like that's a huge escalation. Yeah. Could because now she's seeking out victims and luring yeah, them in. And and there there this is a one of the conflicting things that like, yeah, some people said that like she she brought Rosalie in. Some people said that she didn't meet Rosalie until Bedard brought her in. So Okay, okay. She so was super calculating regardless. It it could either be incredibly fucked up or like semi fucked up. Or like fucked up over nine thousand. Yeah. Okay. Um okay. But yeah, so she, so she made friends with Rosalie, whether before or after, but he they were both working for Bedard. That's where we're at. Um, however, a rift soon appeared in this in this blossoming friendship for Rosalie was much better educated than Helene. Mm. So she started to be put in charge of like the household accounts and like, you know, like started kind of becoming better, quote unquote, than Helene. Well, and she was um, being elevated to more responsibilities exactly. and therefore a higher status. And Helene has a massive fucking ego because she needs to control life or death. Yep. She has nothing else going for her. However, um, the situation would soon be remedied. Um, and it. by remedied, I mean with arsenic. Um, and with poor, within f- just a few months of starting, Rosalie began complaining of stomach pains. The complaints did not last long, however, and neither did Rosalie. God damn it. I Okay, first of all, I love how you wrote that, but I hate that I it know. happened. <laughs> um, two doctors, the ones I mentioned at the beginning, and I'm not going to go back and get their names because I don't care that much. Um had tried to save Rosalie because it, um, and because the symptoms were similar to that of Rose. They convinced the relatives to permit an autopsy. I kind of mentioned this. They they got suspicious. They were like, two yeah. young women died in a very similar way that like the same doctors were treating in the same household. They're like, this is fucking weird. And right. they're doctors and they would know better. Right. So we're back to now to when the, the people showed up and uh, Helene being not the brightest yelled, I am innocent before any questions were even asked. Um, Has she ever been confronted 
No. With it, like no. this is someone not, who's not been, that not that I could find. This is someone who's been actively caught for sacrilege and theft, but she has no sense of chill. Right. But I think she she probably thought she would never get caught. Like she was smarter than right. everyone and else. And so the fact that the cops showed up, she was like, "Well, fuck." Yeah. yeah, and that oh um, my god. So during the inquiries, I go into the trial a lot, but like this is the, the blurb beforehand. So during the inquiry, she was suspected of at least 23 deaths between 1833 and 1841. However, none of these would be thoroughly investigated because mm. they were outside the 10-year limit of prosecution. So because we're in we're in eight, uh, 1851 at this point. Okay. Okay. Can I just say I, I actually just listened to a to a true crime episode where they were talking about a statute of limitations on murder. And I'm like, that is the most absurd thing I've ever heard. But there that definitely is. was a thing. Yeah. Well, and like at that point, there there wasn't any way to get scientific evidence. Like the bodies right. had definitely all decayed by then. Well, um, and they had probably never even suspected because everyone's dying of fucking everything at that time. Right. And, and even these, though, and even the people, ones that were suspected. Like, yeah. Well, and like these are, she's also preying on vulnerable people. Yeah. Like, there was a lot of widows, a lot of like their moms with kids. Servants. Or, or like priests. Yeah. Like. Especially like back then when priests would go and bless sick people, like how easy do it to how easy it to, is it to just be like, oh well, they must have just caught something, brought it home, and that's how why like everyone in the household died. Yeah, I just yeah. Anyways, yeah. so but I don't know. It like I, obviously I want her to kill anyone, but the fact that she's like preying on her fellow coworkers just seems like extra shitty. Where right. I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. Whereas like everyone's just trying to get a paycheck, bitch. A lot of like modern day murderers, you hear the opposite. They're like, no, I'm not going to kill anyone close to me because then I'm going to get caught. Right. They, they still prey on vulnerable people, but not, but anyone connected to them. Right. But exactly. No, but this but is, you know, this whole in, thing yeah. sucks. So yeah, she was suspected of 23 deaths, but that were outside the 10-year time limit. Local folklore or, you know, family history, legend, whatever. Has, According to family lore. Yeah, has attributed to her many unexplained deaths, some of which were almost certainly due to natural causes just because of the time. But of course, you know, like you hear someone was a serial poisoner and they were like, well, they were in my town during this time when this person died. Clearly it was her. My uncle was shot. Therefore, it was definitely her. It was definitely Helene. I definitely did not shoot him right. because he was a dick. But th <laughs> there was a lot of stuff going around and my get you know she probably wasn't actually the cause of all of them the most reliable estimate that historians have got is that she probably committed about 36 murders in total it's hard when someone's moving around a lot and, and there's no way to verify the cause of death for a lot of the people especially at a time when like people were dying of yeah reasons like we still have that issue today where we have um People who are identified as serial killers who are tr still trying to figure out if they were responsible for this death and that death or this John, John Doe or this Jane Doe. And it like it's so even in modern day, it is so hard to connect all those dots. Right. All right. We still have several pages left. OK, I'm going to I'm just going to let you tell the story. So she's definitely a poisoner. We can definitely hate on her. Right. Cool. That's um, where I am. Where was I? Okay, so Helene's trial began on December 6, 1851, but due to French laws of permissible evidence and statute of limitations, she was only able to be accused of three murders, three attempted murders, and 11 thefts. Because Jesus. I guess when they searched her, like, belongings, they found some of, like, her, the household owner's stuff in her stuff. Of so, course, yeah. that's the shit they can yes. trace, not the lives she took. Um, 
at least one case later appears to have been dropped during the course of the trial because it involved a child and police were really reluctant to ask the parents to do an exhumation. So they just dropped it. Um, Helene's behavior in court was erratic, changing from humble, um, like humble motherly or not motherly, like, you know, like humble, maternal, maternal, like sitting to muttering to loud, pious shouting and occasional outbursts against her accusers. So like she was all over the place. She consistently denied she even knew what arsenic was, despite evidence to the contrary. And doctors who had examined her victims had not usually noticed anything suspicious. But when the most recent victims were uh, exhumed, they did show evidence of arsenic and possibly antimony poisoning. Well, remember when I covered the Angels of Nagarive? Yep. It was, you could totally tell that someone died from arsenic, but you had to look for it. Yeah, It had to to be something that you were checking for. Yeah, so th- she had a lot of people against her throughout her whole trial, but there was, like, one person that was, like, a light in her corner. It was a man named Jean-André, who was a cabinet maker, um, whose attention Helene had been trying to catch. She'd, she'd been trying to catch his eye. That's and she had a romantic baby. rival in a woman named Perot Mace. Um, but he said, quote, the service Helene gave me was excellent, um, she nursed Perot perfectly because, of course, Perot also got sick. So she nursed Perot oh, perfectly, fuck. but said it was in vain because the doctors were mishandling the disease. Wait. She told me one day that she was tired of service and that her one wish to re- was to retire. So that's what the guy, John, said. And so and then the the, the lawyer goes, did you attach a certain idea to the confidence of retiring? And he's like, no, which I'm assuming is like, oh, did you ever like intend to propose so she could retire and she's he's like no and then the the lawyer goes you were in the hospital and when you came back did helene take good care of you um and he said yeah she gave me bullion every morning to build me up and then the lawyer's like did it help and he's like or did it harm you and he's like no it did me a lot of good you know like it it legitimately helped and the lawyer comes back with what wasn't helene um jealous of per- uh, Perot, that good-looking girl who gave you so much favor, like that's li- like what they said. I was gonna say, I'm sorry. He's defending her because she poisoned and murdered his, her romantic rival for his affection, but and she then treated poisoned, him really well. But she poisoned him potentially to nurse him back to health to get into his favor, and he's like, "She's great. I love her. She's right. great." So he, basically, he gets asked if if. She was jealous and he, he basically doesn't really answer because he, he he says like, oh, Perot was a good girl and she was never out of sorts. And then, you know, he gets asked, like, did Helene ever say Perot wouldn't recover? And he's like, yeah, she said she's a lost woman, but she said it was because the doctors were mishandling her case. And um, then he says like he, he says um, like Helene never ate with us because she was working day or night and was taking care of us and she would eat in secret and like all this basically all this stuff like so he was on her side god damn it but was also like kind of throwing shade at her but I think on accident I was I'm imagining him like no no, no she's totally fine she only ate in secret and she only like cared for the woman who was vying for my affections who got really sick but it wasn't her Fall. I'm like, I mean, John, she also, like you, worked. John, you sweet summer right. fucking child. What was interesting is like 
a lot of people interpose over one another. And I'm like, that's so interesting because in today's court, like you cannot speak out of turn. Yeah. But like, so apparently he's talking about this and Helene goes, oh, like it was because I was sick too. I couldn't eat what I kept down. So I was just drinking some bullion here and there. She's defending and, herself and in the middle of mouthfuls of breads. Um, like I wasn't trying to do anything in secret and, and I never thought of marrying him um I just thought of him as a friend and like that me wanting to marry him was just a joke yeah so she's like in the middle of his testimony even though he's on her side she's oh like, my god should yeah. we like get married right now <laughs> I'm totally just kidding right marry me a number of other witnesses that were friend, friends of Perot who had seen her during her illness so this was like right when she started at um the law professor's house but like this was not one of those servants it was like someone else um but basically the the friends of perot spoke how helene had always shown an extreme dislike from the girl and that the liquids the latter prepared perot would say like this is super gross i've had enough it 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 says it was what helene gave me that made me ill like basically perot was like no like she's making me sick however like her friends were like no like this this person's taking care of you. Like you're, you're clearly just like thinking she's making you sick because she's here all the time. You know, like I'm sure they felt really bad. Kelly, really quick. If I claim someone is trying to murder me, I don't care how delusional I am. You need to believe me and then just like find someone else. I don't care if I'm making shit up, just like eliminate the cause of stress and have right. someone else feed me bouillon. Yeah, exactly. And like a witness even said that Helene had made soup for her and the girl was like, no, I don't want it because you poisoned it. And then like the judge was like, or the president was like, what happened to the soup, Helene? And Helene was like, oh, I, th- I threw it away. Like, and it's like, all right. Like, She's why like, you just have someone else eat it. <laughs> what soup? Anyway, so that was Perot, which is interesting because, like, I didn't find anything else, like, about that murder except for in the trial. And so I'm like, wait, when did this happen? That's, but that, okay. I, I would say, I would argue that has some of the most damning evidence because she has motive, she has opportunity, and there is a pattern of behavior that lines up beautifully with this. Right. And I don't care how much Jean is trying to help her out. He is doing the opposite. Yeah. He is, he is trying but so hard. He's like the only, the reason I said like he was kind of in her corner is because like he's the only one that actually had like nice things to say about her. Oh no. But what I'm saying is like, he's, he just comes off as super naive. He's oh, like, yeah, 100%. No, no, no. Yeah. She was getting worse when Helene was taking care of her, but that wasn't her fault. It was the doctor. Well, no, that's what she said. Helene said, but yeah, yeah. he's like, well, and I didn't get sick. Like, she treated me well. And it's like, well, no shit. God damn yeah, Anyways. Jean, you fucking nonce. I cannot believe this. Yeah. But the most complete and important testimony in the entire trial was given by Theophile Bedard. You know, the house owner. The law professor. Yep. Um, and the facts that he had to bring forward, he said, like, at the time that they happened, he didn't really think about it until after the last of them had transpired. It was kind of one of those things that, like, she got arrested and then he was like, oh, yeah, there's been a lot of like weird shit that's happened. <laughs> OK, to be fair, which happens if if someone does something weird and your first thought is that they're a murderer, you're either me or insane. Nine right. times out of ten, it's not the case. Right. OK, you ready? Yes. We still have a long way to go. So I'm trying to like oh, shit. stay on topic. OK, so um, 
Bedard started out by like just talking about like, oh, that I hired Helene because she was recommended for like was a good domestic staff, was a good cook um, and that she had plenty of intelligence and she seemed to have a really like good heart. And like the reason he thought that was because she had she had worked like supporting two children as well. And and that, you know, she sent all her earnings home to her poor mother who had no other means of sustenance. Didn't her mother die? Exactly. That's like literally my next sentence. And it's like, you will recall that her mother died when she was seven years old. See, here's the thing. So she's playing on sympathies. I'm paying attention. But I've been drinking, but I'm paying attention. She's playing on sympathies, you know? Um, So nevertheless, Bedard like took her in. And like, like I said, like he, he noticed that like, oh, like I, I took her in and a few months later, Rose started getting sick. Um, apparently the sickness started when she actually had an accident that left her with pains in her back. Like she like legitimately fell. Like she literally had a workplace accident. And then after that is when Helene like kind of started taking care of her. Yeah. She was pushed. No, probably not. Oh, they, well, they don't adva- know, but that doesn't seem like something Helene would do. She just like took advantage of a situation. Exactly. Okay. Um, and that, and then Mr. B- Monsieur Bedard, um, remembered that, he had gone to the country and when he came home, he, um, he had taken a meal with Rose and Helene, which is uncommon, but like not that uncommon at the time. And after that meal, Rose was seized with a violent sickness. He remembered Helene lavishing like a motherly attention on her, made her tea, sat up like through the night with her. But the next morning, Rose was still feeling ill. And then Helene continued carrying her every time it, he said, Obviously, like he's recalling this in hindsight, it's yeah. twenty twenty. But he said he he seems to remember that every time Helene would make her tea, Rose would get some more and more sick, until eventually, like he was so concerned, and obviously Helene had like shit to do that he himself like made her tea that he prepared himself, and she seemed to get better. And oh then my God. they called in Doctor Penault, who who because he she, she hadn't been been taken care of by Helene was like no she's 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 getting better yeah she seems a little nervous but like of course you're nervous after you get sick you're nervous you're gonna get sick again you know but on the fifth day since she initially got sick the the vomitings return and Helene said quote the doctors do not understand the disease Rose is going to die Jesus Christ bitch maybe just <laughs> right? don't say that though the prediction seemed foolish to like everyone that heard it because at the time Rose was doing really well and had no trace of fever however in, in that night um or no, overnight she was fine, but in the next morning she became she began vomiting again and had intense stomach pains. As time went on, a wit, um, Bedard said. So all of this is like from Bedard's perspective, like right. the next like page. Um, from this time on, he said the life of Rose, which would only last thirty six hours more, was nothing more than a long drawn out heart rending cry of agony. <sighs> That's that. I mean, I think that that's one of the worst parts of this. When you think poison, you think like. You take a shot and you're dead. These are long drawn out bouts. Yep. Of, like I, I've had, I've had like the flu where I'm like vomiting yeah, and shitting terrible. at the same time. And I'm like, I kind of wish I was dead. Can you imagine doing this for like days and days and yep. days? So during her whole illness, Bedard mentioned that Rose was only ever attended by Helene and himself. The doctor visited her, but did not give her anything. So after Rose passed, Rose's mother came and obviously she was super dis- um distraught 
And Bedard mentioned that Helene's grief seemed almost to equal the mother's, that there were tears in her eyes, her voice was trembling, she expressed regret, and it all, like, he's like, looking back, it seemed really over-exaggerated. Like, yes, you were friends, but, like, your grief is not on the same level as her mother's. She's cradling her head and neck and screaming, oh, God, please come back to me. Um, Bedard said that there was a moment after Rose's death that he actually had his doubts about Helene. And it was as they were leaving the cemetery, he saw Helene's body like shaking. And he said when he looked at her, it looked as, as if it was more glee than sorrow. And he was like, that's really weird. But he said over the next few days, his mind convinced him that like, no, that's crazy because like clearly she's grieving for hit for Rose and like Helene would say stuff like oh poor Rose and like oh I loved that poor girl blah 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 you know like and so he's like oh clearly it was grief like I was I was seeing oh my god she was stifling a laugh maybe not even a laugh but like just like excitement exact something okay full disclosure I laughed at my friend's funeral but that's because the pastor randomly right. went 9-11 and I it was so yeah. out of context that both me and my other friend like guffawed in re- exactly. out of un- discomfort so Bedard said that he immediately started finding someone to take Rose's place because obviously that's what has but Helene try originally started like tried to dissuade him saying you don't need another like female chambermaid like I'll do everything don't worry about it but Bedard was like no I'm I'm going to find someone else so originally he found Francois I can't pronounce her last name it's weird but so remember, like, Rose, Rosalie is the girl that ends up coming in, but Francois was first. And this was a girl that they said was neither strong in intelligence or will, but was a sweet little creature. And I'm like, that sounds creepy. Please don't describe her like that. Can we find better adjectives, please? Um, but not many days passed before Helene began making Francois incredibly uncomfortable. She would call her a lazy bones and say she doesn't earn her keep. And Bedard would, t- would tell her, like, to mind her own business, like, it was his affair whether he chose to hire her or not. Like, this is not your place, basically. Um, Francois, in the meantime, um, just began to fear Helene. She was so scared of the older woman that she would obey all her orders without resistance. Bedard even said that one day she went, he went into the kitchen and found Helene eating soup at one end of the table while Fr- Francois um, ate hers at the other extreme, like... Yeah. Okay. So they're they're calling Francois stupid, but she fucking knows what's she's scared. up. She fucking yeah. knows. Bedard told Helene that in the future she was to to serve um the like the servants meal together on a tablecloth and bring desserts from his table. Like he's trying to be like a decent person. Um however, Helene seemed to get kind of mad about that and would say that girl seems to live without eating and she never seems to sleep. Basically, he she, she just started like shitting on her character. Um one day, uh, Bedard noticed that Francois's hands were puffy, like hands and face were puffy, and he she he asked Helene about it, who became angry, and accused um, Francois of getting up in the night and like wasting food and sugar and like all this stuff. And again, Bedard was like, first of all, I've never seen her do that, and second of all, if she needs stuff like that, she can take it." 
Okay, she's trying so hard to fuck up Francois's character, and Bedard is actually being, being like a, a nice good, dude. Yeah, like to to be fair though, like it's a huge red flag when one of your employees is like picking on right. another specifically and being like she fucking sucks. It's like you need to work that out yourselves. And if you have an issue, you come to me and bring a concern. You don't just be like they are right. they suck ass. I don't know. Uh, so I was right the first time. She did bring Rosalie in because it comes in here. So the swelling in Francois's face and hands began to attack her legs and she basically couldn't work anymore. So Bedard was like, all right, I need to find someone else. And um, Helene was basically like, I'll help you find another chambermaid. And Bedard was like, sure, whatever. So that, that was when Helene brought in Rosalie Sarazen. And she, the way she like, he, she pitched her to Bedard was she's a very good girl. If her dress is poor, it is because she gives everything to her mother, which might have actually been true in this time. Well, that's also the same kind of sympathy tactic exactly. that she was using. So Bedard said that like Helene was re- remarkably sincere in wanting to hire this girl um, and stuff like that. But her like expression was like, you know, like, oh, she's just like me. She's devoted to her mother and blah, 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 blah. So Bedard hired Rosalie and um, he said like um, he, he flat out told Rosalie when he hired her, like, you're going to be fine. You're going to find yourself dealing with someone who's super difficult. Do not let her like, do not let her order you around. Assert yourself. Like, I do not want her to be in charge of you because that's not her job, basically. Okay. I, th- this is a time where I don't think Rosalie probably had a lot of options. But, like, if you get that in an interview where it's like, well, this person's, like, really difficult to work with. It's like, fucking go somewhere right. else. Just don't do it because they suck. So, when Rosalie first started, Helene was very nice to her. I kind of mentioned this before. Like... She kind of showed her the ropes and like was super nice to her and blah, 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 until it was learned that like Rosalie could write and she could do math and stuff like that. So Bedard was like, I'm going to let her like take care of some of the household expenses and stuff like that. And when he told Helene, Helene got like super angry. And then that's when her like spite against Rosalie and the fact that Rosalie was more educated and like getting the better job really started coming through because she's jealous and desires control right apparently Bedard even heard Helene um, attempt to order Rosalie about and Rosalie stated Mr. Bedard pays me to obey him if I have to obey you as well you'll also have to pay me fucking Rosalie with the mic drop Oh my God. Okay. That's all I need to know. Yep. Rosalie is, is a, a bad badass. bitch and Helene. So how dare she? So because, um, as Helene's, you know, temp temperament toward Rosalie began to sour, sour, Rosalie soon became seized with vomiting. She complained to Bedard, um, or she be- complained to Bedard's cousin about it. And like nothing ever happened. But when the latter went up to when Rosalie went up to her room, um, Helene yelled at her, calling her an ugly brute and like called her the um, she said, I've brought a I've brought into the house a stick for my own back. Basically, like I brought someone in here and you're taking my job is kind of what she said to Rosalie. Um, And this like fighting that Helene was doing with Rosalie, like went on without ceasing, even though Rosalie was super sick. Um. And eventually um, Bedard was like, you know what, if you're going to do this, I'm going to fire you. And so he gave her notice like, hey, you get, you know, like two weeks like or whatever, like, but he gave her like a definite notice, like 
I'm not going to be employing you soon. Like, find somewhere else. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this isn't the first co-worker that she's bullied into right. submission. Also, I think it's interesting that she's, like, jealous of Rosalie for being competent. And allegedly, Francois didn't know what the fuck she was doing. And yeah. Helene was still, like, a fucking bitch. Yeah. So, he gave her... So, he told her on... June 10th and like the date of notice was June 24th. So he gave her 14 days, two weeks. That's not bad to like basically find somewhere else. So the day he told her Helene cooked dinner and gave like made a roast and some green peas. But he said he did not touch the green peas because he, he, he found out that the roast had been made by someone else, but Helene was the one that brought out the peas. And so he, he, he did not touch them and Rosalie or not Rosalie. Helene even asked him, like, oh, how are your peas? Like, you haven't eaten them, and they're so good. And he was like, no, like, I don't want any. So she snatched up the dish and carried it into the kitchen, putting it on the servant's table. Rosalie ate some of the peas, and no sooner had she taken a few spoonfuls than she grew super sick and was, like, seized with vomiting. Oh, dude, he Helene didn't he eat knew. anything that night. And she said she was out of sorts and, and um, didn't want any. Um, Bedard didn't hear about the fact that like Rosalie ate some of the peas and got sick until like the next day. And so he went, and then, so he went to the kitchen and he was like, Hey, can I see like those peas? I want to like, look at them. Like, were they bad? Like something like that. And they were like, Oh, like we don't know where they went. Oh my God. Probably got rid of them. Well, he, he was low key starting to suspect. And like, here's the thing. I, I think he can be criticized for like, He's not going to eat the peas, but he'll let other people eat the peas. But when you're starting to kind of gather these suspicions, you feel like a fucking idiot. You feel like you're overreacting. You feel like you're being insane, but you kind of, you're like, all I can do is kind of control what I do and like, see what happens. Like, I, I don't. He's not the villain in the story, and I'm not trying to make it. No, like, honestly, he he's definitely good, was. But he, at this point, he's starting to low-key suspect something. Yeah. Whether, but it might have been subconscious. Like, but, like, how how stressful is that to be in your household where yeah. you're like, I don't trust this person to serve me fucking right. food. So Rosalie kept being sick, and eventually Bedard was like, go see, my, like, my personal doctor. Like, yeah. I, I'm really concerned, and that that's where Dr. Boudin came in, um... And Helene was like, oh, like, I'm so concerned. Like, let me go with you to the doctor. So she went with and Dr. Boudin prescribed an emetic, which actually ended up having really good effects. Rosalie seemed to recover. Um, And in the and during this time, another cook presented herself to be engaged in Helene's place. So that's pretty good. Um, However, um. Helene still had some time, so she was still preparing meals, particularly for Rosalie. And although Rosalie seemed to have been recovering, um, Helene had prepared some vegetable soup that after Rosalie ate it, she once again fell very sick. And again, remember, this is uh, um, Monsieur Bedard talking about this after the fact. So like, right, right. At the time, they weren't making the connections. No, no, no. no. And I, 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 I give him a lot of benefit of the doubt because he seems like he was... It's interesting because you hear about all these horrible abuses of power, and then there's this guy who's confronted with an actual murderer who's like, "I'm gonna give you two. I'm gonna give you a warning, right? And I'm gonna give you two weeks' notice because you're bullying other staff members. And then like, I'm getting sus of you, but I'm not right. gonna like fucking do anything. Like, like, yeah, like he's kind of doing what we would do in modern day 
You know, if you're like, I don't totally trust this person. But I also don't have enough to like. But like looking back on it and like knowing all these people have died around her, it's like, oh my God. And as a, as a normal person, what are you supposed to do when you're confronted with this level of evil? Right. So Rosalie gets sick again. Helene's taking care of her and Helene goes to Bedard and is like, you're not actually going to dismiss me because of Rosalie, are you? And he's like, he's like, you know what? If you can keep the peace and not fight with Rosalie, you can stay. I'm angry because I'm, I've totally done that shit where I'm like, I draw the line in the sand and I keep moving it back. Um, so he, he, Helene seemed satisfied and did begin treating Rosalie better. And Rosalie did appear to be on the mend again. Then Bedard went to the country, taking Rosalie with him. And when they returned, um, Bedard went to go get like the final Epsom salts and stuff that Rosalie had been ordered by the doctor because he was already going out. Um, and he divide he personally divided each portion into separate glasses. Um, but the glasses of whey themselves were made by Helene. And so even though he administered the first dose, Helene gave the last and then Rosalie started getting sick again. She was extremely ill throughout the night. And of course, Helene was like, "Um, she's getting sick again. The doctors don't know what they're going to do. She's going to die. So at this point, the doctor came back. Dr. Boudin came back and prescribed leeches and blisters and was like, basically like, clearly something bad is going on inside of her. We need to get it out. And like, that is a very old school remedy. Um, Do cocaine about it. There's ghosts in your blood. Right. But so Helene was like, see, like, look at this. Like, clearly they don't know what they're doing. Um, The doctor was like kind of disturbed that like Helene was like being really intense about it. So that's when he called in Dr. Penalt, the other doctor, Mm -hmm. and was like, can you like just come and check my treatment plan and make sure like we're on the same page or if there's something else I need to be doing different with like good on the doctor to be like all right like someone's questioning my treatment plan let me get a second opinion also the the person questioning him is a servant like there's so many stories we cover where like the class dynamic comes in and it's like man the one time everyone is being super cool, it's like with the person right, they shouldn't exactly. be being cool with. And but that sucks. so Dr. Penalt comes in and is like, yeah, no, this sounds like a good treatment. Um, so they they continued with that. And Dr. Boudin also was like, let's let's try gooseberry syrup with seltzer water, which I'm like, that actually sounds like that delicious. Sounds, but is that I a white claw flavor? Probably. <laughs> but I wonder if she couldn't eat a lot. So they were like, yeah. tr- like try this. Um, so two glasses of the mixture were given to Rosalie by her mother who had shown up because her, her daughter was so sick. Um, but the third glass was given by Helene. Um, and apparently Rosalie said to... Um, the the household owner bedard i don't know what helene has put in this drink but it burns me like a red hot iron okay this is so frustrating like i i understand that this is all in 2020 um but she is she's telling them right i don't trust her the guy who's employing her is like i don't fucking trust her right like can't they just like i wish they could just send Rosalie to a hospital exactly, like, and like just, just get her out of the situation or just, just completely just don't let Helene take care of her yeah or like remove one of these people need to be removed from this situation right so um obviously like when Bedard got told that by Rosalie he went and questioned Helene um and 
this is what he said. He said, it has not been given me more than twice in my life to see Helene's eyes. I saw at that moment the look she flung at Rosalie. It was like the look of a wild beast, a tiger cat. At that moment, my impulse was to go to my workroom for a cord, tie her up and drag her to the justicary. But one reflection stopped me. What was the, what was this I was about to do? Disgrace a woman on a mere suspicion? I hesitated. I did not know whether I had before me a poisoner or, or a woman of admirable devotion, which I get. I get second guessing yourself. I 100% guess get but like that. also like if you're even a little bit suspicious, just yeah, remove her from the situation and be like, "You know what? You've done a a really good job of caring for her. Her mom's here now. Her mom's going to care for her. Yeah. Why don't you go back to your like everyday fucking job? It no, I I th- I think how long this was drawn out is the most frustrating part and how suspicious everyone was, but no one was really willing to be right. like this is weird. And the worst part about it is I can't say I would have done better. Right. Because accusing someone of being a poison, exactly. accusing someone of committing like purposeful harm that's right. a lot yeah and that's a huge thing to throw at someone we're getting there we're almost done so the next day he was really really glad that he didn't like tie her up and drag her to the justicer because <laughs> because helene came running in the morning and was like rosalie is better and for three days she Ro- fucking knew and for three days rosalie did seem to be better so much so that bedard was like okay like my household is kind of calming down. I'm going to go like to my vacation home. However, like the day after he left, he found out that Rosalie was just as sick as ever. The sickness continued. So he came home. The sickness continued with great intensity. Um, Every two hours, she was given a calming medication to try and stop the vomiting. But every time she was given the medication, she got sicker and sicker. Believing it to be a case of the worms, um, Bedard got out of bed and substituted the medicine for a strong infusion of garlic instead to try and get like kill the worms. This stopped the sickness temporarily. However, at six in the morning, it began again. At this point, Bedard went to Dr. Penaults. Um, however, like they ran into each other at the street um, <laughs> because like he was out with a different doctor and the two doctors um, came to Bedard um, and like looked at Rosalie and was like, well, it's either worms or, or, or possibly a case of poisoning. Oh my God. And then when, and that's the first time anyone has verbally said that. And then, and then when Penalt was like, you also had that other servant that died. So they gave her a strong dose of magnesia um, and the vomiting stopped, but how it was, it was too late. She had taken too much poison. So, well, she's been being poisoned over the course of how long? Um, Later that day, uh, Bedard was like, hey, like if she starts throwing up again, save that shit, which is really weird. But, you know, like because prior to that, every time every time Rosalie threw up, Helene would take whatever she threw up away and immediately clean it. And so Bedard is like, okay, let, let's try to save some in case it is poisoning. So we have... It's weird Helene had that kind of like forensic knowledge I mean, to like clean up it, the vomit. It makes sense though. Like, no, it's it the does. same as like throwing the peas away and stuff like that. It's like, I'm just not going to leave anything to chance basically. It does, but still. So um, basically, yeah, Bedard, anytime he was in there would take himself and lock him in a cupboard for like for only he had the key and like Helene got kind of mad at him, but he was like, no, this is like, I'm super sus of you at this point. Um, from that time on, Rosalie was put into the care of her mother and a nurse and Helene was not allowed to like give her anything. Helene, uh, however, you know, tried really hard to get the two women out 
and like accused them of drinking and neglecting Rosalie and like was like, I will sit with her. But Bedard was like, no, I do not want you to do that. Yeah. During this time, Rosalie was like in a ton of agony. She couldn't sit up or lie down. She was convulsing. Um, and Helene was basically constantly coming and going as much as she could. Um, however, um, Bedard said it seemed like Helene didn't have the courage to watch her victim die though, because like she couldn't stay. She just like kept moving around. Um, I I think she was trying to separate herself because she knew everyone was looking (laughs) at her. Um, honestly, at five in the morning, she went out to the market, leaving her, um, the mother alone with Rosalie, poor woman worn out with exertions also went out to ask help from friends to be like, I need other people to help me watch my kid. Rosalie would die in the presence of a witness at seven o'clock with when her mother was out. Helene returned and would just say, er, Helene, Helene returned and Bedard just told her it is all over. Helene's first move was to look for the vessels that Bedard had collected of the different things and try to get them thrown out. Um, Bedard stopped her, continued locking up the vessels, and the same and then the, the same day is when um Helene ended up like saying I'm innocent and getting arrested. Bedard, um, throughout his entire def- desp- deposition, um, had everyone like spellbound. It took him over an hour and a half to like repeat everything. He believed he he added after the fact that he believed in spite of her criminal conduct he she was a good service. Servant, that's what well, he, no. yeah, cuz she wasn't trying to murder your ass except maybe no. that one time with the peas. That's what he thought and then he was yeah. like, "Yeah, but then I found out she robbed me." So, Son never of a mind. Bitch. She was a good service except for the murder. Oh, um, but then I found out she was a thief, so fuck her. But yeah, like he had stolen, she had stolen many things, including a diamond ring that belonged, or a diamond that belonged to his daughter and her, his daughter's wedding ring. <gasps> yeah. Okay. I like, okay. Obviously this is all horrible, but that's just like, yeah. okay. You're already inflicting all of this physical and emotional right. trauma on all of these people. And then you're petty enough to steal right. his daughter's wedding ring. Yeah. So obviously during all of this, Helene is denying everything. She said that it wasn't her that was jealous of Rosalie, but Rosalie that was jealous of her, that, you know, she gave all the nursing she could to both Rose and Rosalie with no intention of anything other than helping her. Um, The president kind of was like, no, like arsenic was administered and like. What, what do you think the motive would be for poisoning these girls and stuff like that? And Helene answered, you won't redden my face by talking of arsenic. I defy anybody to say they saw me giving arsenic. Which is like, all right. Picks or it didn't happen. God damn it. Yeah. Um... Dr. Pinault would also take the stand to give an account of Rosalie's illness and spoke of the suspicions that they had on the poisoning. Um, but they were like, the reason we weren't, didn't take it super seriously is because like it was a crime that had no motive that they could, that they knew of. Well, okay. Ser- the, the term serial killer wasn't coined until the, the 1970s. Well, they, they didn't know about her past. They didn't know well, about yeah, all yeah, the people yeah. that had died. But what I'm saying is like, even the concept of someone who's just like murdering with no 
point yeah with no end game with no motive yeah. other than to inflict pain and suffering like the term for that wasn't coined until the 1970s doesn't mean it wasn't right. happening and people weren't recognizing it but like these are very normal people yeah. who are confronted with someone and something they are absolutely they don't right. even have the pop culture reference to have the anxiety for this well and the other reason he didn't think anything of it is because he was like well bedard is clearly not the poisoner like he has no reason to yeah and, and the only other person that was suspicious is the cook but she's like mothering this the the patient so why would it be her well also she she's fulfilling a traditional feminine role of being the it, caregiver no, that's what i'm saying yeah like, it, no so and the doctor's I'm not like agreeing with you i'm just rewording yeah. it um and so it wasn't until like his other colleagues were like yeah this definitely could be poison that he was like okay it's probably poison oh fuck what no just that's oh no j- j- just the realization and all of these weird social things that lined up for everyone to kind of be explaining it away. And here's the thing again, nine times out of 10, if you're like, I think I'm dealing with a serial killer, you're probably not. Yeah. But fuck like this poor girl was suffering for so long and people were getting progressively more suspicious and no one was willing to be like, you need to get the fuck out of here or we need to get her the fuck out of here. So, um, obviously like they did do an autopsy on Rosalie. Um, the results were found that like most of the organs and everything, like basically everything was in like good condition, except for the fact that like there were like slight alterations and it, it was concluded that it definitely had been like occasioned by poison is how they did it. They did try, they did exhume the body of Perot. Um, but her, like the condition of her organs wasn't good enough to be able to tell anything. So that kind of sucks. Um, and then one of the doctors talked about Francois and how they think she had also been dosed in poison and like poisoned in small doses. And that's yeah. what had caused the swelling. Um, yeah. And basically like a bunch of other people came forward to like various witnesses that were like talking about that she was jealousy and that are jealous and that she wanted full control of the household and the money. And she wanted to be like the only servant and you know be the sole domestic and stuff like that like and that was both true for Francois and like Rosalie you know Mm -hmm. and um in fact even Rosalie's mother at one like came forward and like obviously they kind of knew at this point but apparently like one thing that happened was on one of the mornings toward the end of Rosalie's life the patient was in agony and like escaped her bed and like her mom couldn't hold her and fell like into an awkward position against the wall. And Rosalie's mother was like, Helene, can you like, can you help me and like put a pillow for her? And she said, Mafoy, you're beginning to be weary to me. You're her mother. Help her yourself. So like when people weren't around. She was, she kind of was a, incredibly yeah. cruel when it wasn't the person she was trying right. to put on a face for, which was her boss. Yeah. Oh, my God. And even one of the neighbors came forward to testify that, like, yeah, she definitely was like she could wish when Bedard was gone, she would complain about Rosalie and like all of this stuff. Basically, Helen, Helene, again, obviously, like denounced all of this as lies and said, like, oh, these people don't know me, stuff like that, blah, 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 blah. Um, also, like the the pharmacist that had made um, 
Rosalie's medication came forward to and was like, yeah, like if this is arsenic poisoning, like here's how I do my stuff. Like I couldn't have poisoned her just like just to be safe, basically. Which is due diligence. You have to for for to prove someone guilty beyond reasonable doubt. You have to eliminate all the other possibilities, which could be the pharmacist did it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, uh Basically, the only other thing, like, is her defense defense lawyer made a made a remarkable closing speech, arguing arguing that she needed more time than most to repent and could be spared the death penalty since she was dying of cancer, anyways. Which I don't know if she actually was. Says who? Exactly. What doctor? Um, here, the interesting thing is, at the time that this happened, the case attracted very little attention because there was a coup d'etat in Paris. And so that took like all of the attention, which makes sense. Um, but Helene was sentenced to death by guillotine because this is France um, and was executed in front of a large crowd of onlookers um, at the Champ de Mars in Rene on February 26, 1852. So here's, here's a little like fun guillotine fact. Maybe not guillotine fact. Okay, can um, I just say, fun if anyone's going to say a fun guillotine fact, it's you. It's me, yeah. Okay. This is your this, jam this, and this, jelly. This is fun, like, execution fact, I guess. So in England, we're not in England, we're in France, but in England, um, when someone was executed at this time, most of the clothes and stuff belonging to victims were turned over to the executioner. Like that was just like part of the job apparently. Well, because it was um, a shitty job. But in France during the revolution, cause we're still during that time, um, most garments were cut into pieces and used for cleaning of the guillotine because obviously like there was a lot of blood and flesh and like things that come Thing with um, being guillotined. Matter. But did you know, like when you went to guillotine, they cut your hair off. Like, they cut your hair off before you get guillotined so it doesn't, like, stop the blade. Oh, I don't think I, I don't think I knew that. Well, either, I mean, it also just gets cut off with your neck. So No, no, I know, that. but, like, if you've got, like, a thick ponytail, and God knows um, the French loved a thick ponytail. But, uh, guess what happened to the hair shorn from the necks of those about to be guillotined? Please tell me it was sewn into a beautiful afghan no that'd be funny though um so this this was what was reported at the time so there was apparently a sect that formed in paris that was basically like super excited to associate themselves with the count counter revolutionaries by like every possible means and so um they had this like weird devotion to the guillotine um, because like that was a symbol of like the non-revolutionaries, you know. Okay, like, I'm embarrassed, anyways. but also yes. Like I, so, I, I've been a spooky bitch since day one, yep. so I get this. So people, particularly like women that were part of that sect, were very eager to buy the locks from like the the young you know revolutionaries no. that were being guillotined, and they would wear the hair on their own head. Like, as a sign of, like, yeah, look at us, like, murdering the revolutionaries. So it was this, like, whole new branch of, like, commerce and a weird kind of devotion. Um, so, yeah. Okay, murder... Okay, this is just a reminder. Murderbelia has been around for fucking ever. But do you think they did that? Okay, like, I'm, I'm immediately going back to episode one a trillion years ago. Alam de Gouge, she was executed by the guillotine. Do you think some psycho was running around wearing her hair? I don't know. Apparently a lot of them were like 
blonde though because like they talk about how like they were golden haired young women in particular like that's the hair that sold the best ew so this is a quote from like the article I was reading said this like it said let us respect these blonde locks our late our late aristocrats will have at least have have been of some use then their hair will hide the bald heads of a few women so basically like yeah we're gonna kill the aristocrats but at least they'll like it'll go to some good use so wait wait but they were part of the counter-revolution right but this was during the revolution so like right so they were for the aristocrats because the revolution but, was like anti-aristocrats. some of the aristocrats were revolutionaries. Oh my God, I don't fucking know what's going on. The French Revolution was weird It was fuck. so confusing. Um. Anyways, so I can't tell if they're like, ha ha, they're dead, but they've done some use because I have a wig now. Or yeah, if that's they're basically like, it. Or, okay. Or if they're like, oh, so sad they're dead, but they've had some use because I have a wig now. Either way, yeah. it's... Choices. Um, Choices. So, yeah, because, like, there's not a lot of information why she committed the crimes. Like, she never admitted to it and anything like that. But a lot of it is, like, these days they think they, that she obviously had a lot of psychological issues. Obviously. Obvi. Um, They think, like, one of the things that she may have had, like, an abandoned child syndrome due to the fact that, like, her father was never around and her mother died at a young age. But most likely they just associate it to her wanting that, like, sense of power not necessarily even over people, just power in general. Control, power. Yeah. And that, yeah, she just enjoyed having that power. God damn yep. it. So that's I mean, Helene. that's very, that's very Jane Toppin. Yeah. Because she also had like an, a, you know, abandonment like issue. Light, slightly less creepy than Jane Toppin, but only mildly. <laughs> I mean, she didn't crawl into bed with her victims. Okay. Jane Toppin, but without the sexuality. That's what I said. That's why, that's why I'm yeah. saying slightly less creepy. I would just say less sexual because this whole thing is so creepy. Kelly, this was 11 pages. Yep. This is the and longest. I skipped, I skipped some of it because I was like, this is 11 pages. And I'm, I'm sorry if I made it longer, but this was a lot to digest. Again, this there is why we stuff do not have a true crime podcast. I didn't want to like cut out. Like I, I, like I said, I skipped over chunks of like the testimony that I had in there, but I was just like, I feel like talking about Bedard's testimony from like what he was seeing was really important because we don't have a lot of information otherwise. No, I, I 100% agree because otherwise it's like, she went here and a bunch of people mysteriously died. Right. And then she went here. But that's an insight into her method, into exactly. her um, modus operandi. Yeah. You know, and like how she's behaving when she's being confronted with her plans, maybe right. not going exactly the way or when she's being confronted or. Oh, my. Well, that's why I was saying God. like my notes went from like a page and a half to like 10 pages because I found the, like the one article. So I thought my story was going to be very short, which is why I decided to, I, I was going to tackle that and another story in a week. And that story took me a week because I found way more information than I thought I would. And that was about seven pages. This was 11. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. First of all, no lo siento. Or no te sientes. I'm I, sorry. I don't know how to say you're not sorry. Okay. I only know how to say I'm sorry because I'm the only one who should ever be sorry for anything. Because um, this was such a good story and you did such a good job because I have, I love true crime. Yeah. I've never fucking heard of this lady. Right. And the fact 
fact that you have 11 pages on her is insane. There was like one YouTube video and it wasn't very good. And there's so much, there's so much insight in that testimony to like her psychosis, her modus operandi, like just, just there's so much to pick apart in like, because she's like, I want to be in charge. But also, even if I'm not the top dog in the house, I'm still going to fucking murder you, a la right. Francois. And exactly. Man, they called her an idiot. She fucking got out of there. She knew. She had She had a sense for it. I mean, like, she and wouldn't Rosalie, work, and that's why she got out of there, but still. But, but still, like, and again, this isn't me saying that anyone who was killed by her is an idiot, but poor fucking Rosalie. Poor everyone, but we've really got an insight into Rosalie and who she was and how she was feeling, and I think at the, at the end, she knew what was happening, too. Yeah. And even then, she couldn't be like, that bitch is fucking poisoning me. Right, exactly. Because she didn't know. And I can't say I would ever, unless I saw it happening, that I would ever be able to be like, that person is trying to kill me right now. Right. That is so much to throw at someone. Oh, my God. I think that also it's a really interesting highlight into the psychology of like throwing an accusation at someone. There are obviously people who can accuse others of really horrible stuff that didn't happen and not bad an eyelash, but the courage it takes to accuse someone of something really horrible. It's a lot. And it's definitely something worth investigating. Yeah. Oh my God, this is, this whole thing is so sad. I'm glad she was caught. I'm, I'm morally against the death penalty, but also into the bin with you. Yeah. Like, sorry, not sorry. Right. Wow. Kelly, you fucked me up forever. It's okay. It's been a long time since that happened. Kelly, why did you make dinner? I can't eat it now. Why did you make pea soup? I'm kidding. She, she totally didn't. I actually, okay. Pea soup sounds awful, but it's really good. Like with some cheese on top, some like mozzarella. Mm, no thanks. Mm, love that shit. No. <sighs> Emily. No. What are you thankful for? No. No. All right, we can skip it this time. There's nothing. I'm thankful you haven't poisoned me with pea soup. Yeah. I'm thankful no, okay. I don't have servants that are going to poison me for power. I mean... <laughs> I also love at the bottom of your nose, you put the pious poisoner. Oh, yeah. Or the I was going to talk about that. Those were names in the art, the articles I found. That's what they like. The two names they referred to her as is the pious poisoner or the servant. I think whatever. I, I'm going to the servant serial killer. I'm going to put the pious poisoner because because she even, acted really pious. Like, yeah, that was her thing. Yeah. And I really resent that. <laughs> I really resent it deeply. Fuck, what am I thankful for? You know, I had stuff. I was thinking about things. Um, okay. Um, I know I was just talking about lying to my mother's face. <laughs> but I'm really thankful for my parents. You're thankful you have a mother to lie to her I'm face thankful to. that I have a lovely mother that I can lie to. Um... And here's the thing. If I did tell her I got a tattoo, she wouldn't like disown me or write me out of the will or whatever. Um, not that I'm ever going to tell her because honestly, that just feels mean. Uh, but no. So I I'm re- I, I rearranged my living room 
and my parents' basement is just full of stuff. From your living room? No, no, just like from them living their lives. There's like five bookcases. There's a bunch of tables. Damn. To be fair, there's a bunch of my old shit in there too. So um, that is something I am eventually going to have to deal with. Whether I like it or not, that is 100% going to be my responsibility. See, my mom's already done that. Like every time I go over, she's like, here's a box of your old shit. Have fun. And I'm like, but now it's just going to sit in my house. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, but it doesn't need to sit in my house. My mom has done that with some of my stuff, but there are some things where it's like, she she's not going to go in the basement and start cataloging because now it's all so mixed in. But I was looking for something to put my TV on that looked a little better. And I was able to go over there. And my mom's like, do you want to stay for dinner? Aww. And they like fed me, which is which was awesome. And I don't know. I just got to hang out with my parents and shoot the shit with them. And like, I didn't always have the best relationship with my mom. She's always, or my dad, they've always been yeah. really, really good parents. But we've been through our shit. But especially, you know, like... My dad has worked through a lot of things. I moved out, so my mom and I have gotten space because we definitely spent way too much time together. That's how me and my mom were, too. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's just great that I can go over there and hang out and, like, joke about getting a tattoo on my butthole. And my mom just, like, rolls her eyes, and my dad's just, like, chuckling. That's my little son of a bitch right there. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And I can go shopping in their basement. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm very thankful for that. I have very great supportive parents. They came to the live show, even though my mom called me before and was like, well, what time do we actually have to be there? How long is it going to be? And you're like, mom, it starts in like 10 minutes. Well, actually, I was like, well, mom, it's supposed to start at 11. She's like, so I don't have to be there until like when? I was like, well, the event starts at 10, but we don't start talking until 11. She's like, Which was so wrong. when do I have to be? No, I, I told her, I was like, well, you should be there at like 1030. And we actually didn't start until they showed up. Because I'm like, I know my parents are yeah. coming. And then the Irish goodbyed me. They just up and disappeared. But they yeah. got to meet my mom for the first time. No, no, no. Our they, parents they, met. Here's that the was thing. Nice. They showed up. They did talk to us and say, like, you did a great job. And then they just know. They chatted with your mom. They did check out the exhibits at the History Center. But then at one point, we were going to take pictures. I was like, well, really quick. Like, people are starting to leave. Let me, like, say bye to my parents. And they were just gone. I think you or someone was like, they left. And I'm like, fucking when? That's super funny. No, I... Sorry, that that went off as like being kind of shady. No, but you were doing it. You were saying it lovingly. Yeah, no, I I love my parents, even for their sassiness, just like they love me, even for my tattoo butthole jokes. Not getting the tattoo on my butthole, but also never showing my mother. Um, No, I'm I'm very thankful. And it was just kind of like a nice reminder that I'm really lucky to be able to just like hang out with my parents and shoot the shit and like I can walk into their home like it's still my home right like like I show respect it's not my house but I'm very thankful to have parents I'm close to emotionally geographically yeah I just I love them they're they're swell (laughs) they're swell swell they're soup swell all right swell is a huge compliment for me remember I as my mom says, I talk like I'm from the 19 fucking 40s. 
I might call, be older than that. Okay, I call I I call my fella. I'm like You call him a fella. I call him a fella and I say he's a good egg. My mom's like, "Are you from fucking 1940 or what? Like what's wrong with you?" And this is coming from my mom who was born closer to the 1940s than me. I will not disclose the decade because she would literally murder me. Right. She would somehow find out. She would know and murder you. My parents have asked me so many times how to listen to the podcast. I tell them they're never going to listen to this. That's probably a good thing. But I'm still terrified they're going to hear it and then be like, hey, Em. So what you said on the podcast and then like i my my soul is just gonna leave my body and that's how i die yeah that's someone, it like someone asked me once they were like do you tell your like clients about your podcast oh, i'm like fuck, fuck no. no i'm like ew if no they, if they found it themselves which no one has yet if they found it themselves and asked me about it I would not lie. Right. But I will not tell them about it. Like if we were a serious history podcast, sure. I wouldn't give a shit, but I'm like, if we were an academic podcast, my personality as a therapist and my personality as like a human being are different, let alone my personality as a therapist and my personality on this podcast where I drink yeah <laughs> with like, your friend yeah. of over a fucking decade exactly so someone was like i like laughed in their face when they said that they were like do you talk to your clients about your pot i legitimately laughed in their face and was like no so and re- i never will remember when we got interviewed by the local news oh god i podcast? was so nervous okay so i have never sweated so much in my life and i run on the treadmill Luckily, multiple times a week. But a lot of people don't watch the news, thankfully. Okay, well, I was working at the hotel at the time. And because a lot of people are staying there who from out of town, they were watching the news. I was like serving drinks and people were like, I saw you on the news. And I'm like, I think I had like two people be like, I saw you on the news. And I'm like, great. Yeah, no, but we had to, we had to like schedule that in the middle of the day. And like, I use my lunch break for it. And you use your lunch break and all that. But, like, I wouldn't tell anyone I worked with what I was doing. I think I said I had an interview, but I wasn't, like, super specific I don't about think it. I ever, t- I maybe briefly uh, no, I, mentioned it, I think I, think it, I, I, I don't I think I have a podcast thing. I think, that, like, that's what I said, but I, I was, like, super vague about I it. I had just started my job, and I'm like, there is no way in hell I'm going to tell these I'm people I have a podcast. Like where I worked when we did that. I you think were I worked doing, at Bluestem. Yeah, you were, you were working there anymore, and so. doing your... Um, you were still practicum. in school, but yeah. yeah, you were doing your practicum. Oh my God. Yeah, I think my boss was one of the people that was like, I saw you on the news. And I'm like, great. Fuck. Kelly, what are you thankful for? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful for my parents. I love my parents. Uh, but I'm also thankful for my doglets who love me always. And it's just nice when I have a rough day, like not, not that my husband isn't great too, but it's nice when I have a rough day that I can just come home and like pick one of them up and like, they just tolerate me like holding them until I feel better. It fucking hits different. I'm not going to lie. Like, it hits Especially when you're different. like holding them and then they like look at you and you can just tell that they're like, are just radiating love. And then they lick your face and it's like, you love me. And that just makes me feel better. I have a story about how much my cat loves me. It might be sexual from him, um, but we're going to talk about that 
potentially on a whining about on our I Patreon. Super uncomfortable. Now. Okay, it, it didn't it didn't hit me until I was at the gym watching the Nature Channel that just happened to be on TV. But we do her we do whining abouts where we just whine about a specific topic where Kelly and I have been drinking and we just do this this whole tangent super fun thing that you all seem to love so much don't get it but i love it so subscribe for as little as one dollar a month to access our patreon we have herstory happenings we will be releasing one in october uh and our whining abouts which we will also be releasing on a monthly basis we are committing to doing this on a monthly basis we are on top of it i have work done ahead of time we got this. Yay. You sound so confident in me. It's cause I, well, it's because I haven't done my work yet. And I'm like, oh, I got to do that. It's fine. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm not crying. You're crying. Please like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory. Instagram at WAHPAD. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com where you can find our Patreon that Emily already mentioned. Or buy me a coffee where you can, if you don't want to monthly donate, you can donate. For as little as $5 and buy us a bottle of wine where we'll either match your name or whatever the hell you tell us you want. Within reason, like if you tell us to buy like a $100 bottle of wine, we're not going to do it. You're going to have to donate more than $5. Yeah, you're going to have to donate but also $100. Like, I'm, going, I'm going to the liquor store and I am seriously, I'm asking uncomfortable yeah, questions. both of us are. Of the people working there. I am picking up bottles and putting them back. I am having people, multiple people working there coming up and asking me like, can I help you find anything? And I'm oh, like, I've had the same if you person. don't have Canadian wine, then fuck off. I've had the same person like, they asked me what I was looking for. I told them and they were like, well, I don't think I have anything. And I was like, okay, well, I'm, not, I'm just going to look around. Cause then I was looking for like pig themed wine or not pig themed wine. Um, just Canadian. like anything yeah. Canadian adjacent. Um, and like, I spent like 15 minutes there and they came back and they're like, are you doing okay? That is worse. And I'm that like, is a hundred percent worse. I'm like, yeah, I ended up buying something else. Cause not because I felt awkward, just because I found one that I like really liked the bottom. I have art. word vomited yeah. our whole podcast oh, to poor people working at the liquor store who immediately are like, I'm sorry I asked. Yep. You, they just have that look on their face where they're like, I, I regret everything. Okay, have you ever worked in retail where you're like, how are you doing today? And someone's like, well, my husband just died, but otherwise fine, like the overshare. Yeah, and you're just- That's who I am at the liquor store. And I am sorry to anyone who works there. For me, it depends on like the kind of day I've had. <laughs> if you don't want this to happen, please rate us five stars oh, yeah. wherever you listen. You can also find our merch on our website. We have some sweet merch. We have some sweet ass merch. We also have some pride merch that like was that we released in June that we still have up because there's why not? It's always fucking pride. Yeah. Come on. Fucking come on. Come on. <laughs> come on. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Why About Her Street. Jesus fucking Christ. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. Have a spooky empowered day, bitches. Bye. Bye.